This week on Trek, Mary Kill, Baby Borg Smiles. Next. Prepare. Where did it come from? For the birth. A 29th century Borg. Of a miracle. It will fully mature in less than two hours. Now can seven of nine. You're going to be the teacher. Protect a child. You are hurting me. Born of evil. You contacted the collective. The board vessel's moving into range. Resistance is futile. On the next Star Trek Voyager. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Sharice. Hi, I'm Andrea. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a podcast that's uh, like a data node ready to be processed by a baby board drone so they can learn which episodes of Star Trek to assimilate, which episodes have achieved perfection, and which ones can be ignored. Coming aboard this week are Sharice and Andrea, two scientists and real-life BFFs who for the past three years have hosted the TNG podcast, the go-to podcast for Star Trek The Next Generation superfans. Every episode bursts with energy. I was telling them off the recording that it makes my day if I'm having a bad day. It's a lot of fun, and you still have time to catch up with their new episodes. They're working their way through season seven, but hurry, there's still time. You can catch the end. Um, Sharice and Andrea, welcome. Thank you so much. We're so pumped to be here. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We we can't wait to talk about this episode. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And can I pause and say that intro was just magical? That was like I, a lot of thought went into that. I people. was like, the whole time. <laughs> but on the inside. Oh, thank you very much. Very flattering. Uh, so I usually ask people the first time they saw Star Trek or watch it, but I think people should go and listen. It's your first episode. You get into all that. But do you have in your minds a moment that either encapsulates this is Star Trek to me, or do you remember the first thing you saw or moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I love this? I don't remember the first time, like the moment that I fell in love or the moment that um, changed everything for me or an episode that just screams like this is Star Trek. There's actually a lot of episodes that come to mind, but I can't think of a, a particular one, but I will say two things. One my mom originally got me into TNG um, because I just refused to watch the original series. So she was like, fine, watch this. I, I promise you'll like it. And she was absolutely right. But then when Voyager came out and I saw a female captain, I was like, I'm, I'm in, like, I'm so in. And I, and I love TNG, but Voyager for me just like struck that separate chord because I always saw myself as that kind of strong, independent woman um, back in the nineties when that wasn't totally a thing. Um, so seeing that role model, I just thought she was amazing. And one of the episodes that comes to mind, this is the second thing, is there's this episode of Voyager where um, there's like, they're trapped in some void and they're trying to escape and there's some bad guy who's trying to like kill them or whatever. And Janeway, who's feeling super guilty about trapping them there in the first place, is like, okay, I'm going to take a shuttle. I'm going to handle this by myself. You guys run away and go through the wormhole to the other side or whatever. And her whole crew is like, we're not leaving you behind and we don't care what you say. And she was just like, well, I could have you all hanged for mutiny. And they were like, that's fine. And she's like, all right, I guess we need a different plan. And it was just the most beautiful scene because her whole crew was so like loyal to her and really believed in her and, and were not willing to leave her, even if she gave them a direct order, because she would never do that to any of them. And I just remember thinking like, this is the kind of person I want to be. This is the kind of leader I want to be. This is the kind of friend I want to be. And this is absolutely the kind of person I want to be. So that's kind of a long, long answer to your questions. That doesn't directly answer either. No, um. that's good. As good as answer as any. We're talking about Voyager today. Andrea, what about you? Is there a moment that sticks in your mind? 
Yeah, um, actually, my dad uh, got me into Star Trek. He was a huge sci-fi fan. He he had read like Isaac Asimov's Foundation, like which, by the way, the show on Apple TV, my God, is one of the most spectacular. <laughs> Oh, sci-fi, beautiful, heart-wrenching, like gorgeous. So they, they've done a beautiful job with that. But he he really was so excited. I remember that um, it was UPN at the time was the network that mm-hmm. was showing Star Trek, The Next Generation. And they had all these billboards and advertisements. It's like a new Star Trek is coming. Because like the only one that had been out was the original series, which ended in 69. So here it was like, you know, 1987 or 89 or something. So it'd been a long time. So there had been a big buildup. And I remember him being like, this is a big deal. We got to start watching this show. And so we watched the pilot episode of TNG encounter at Farpoint together when I was like seven or eight years old. And I remember just sitting with him and him being like, this is important. You, you should really take this in, you know, as like, these are the possibilities for humanity. And the thing that really pulled me in, in that pilot episode, even though the pilot episode, in my opinion, is kind of trash, but like, Mm -hmm. okay. um, We killed it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I was like, you know, space jellies, like, but But when you're seven, yeah, when you're seven, I was like, oh, cool. The thing that roped me in that episode was Data in the holodeck, because that was the first time we'd ever seen a holodeck. And I was like, it's a room that you can make into anywhere? What? <laughs> like, it was just so cool to me. Mm-hmm. And then I think the TNG episode that really pulled me in hard, where I was like, this is really good track, was when Beverly was trapped in the static warp bubble in Remember Me, and everyone's Are you kidding me? That's yeah. my, that was my first episode. That was my what? end. Oh yes, my God, remember. Get out of here. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we're, and, and it was Mom, such a cool episode because, yeah, it was such a cool episode because we know those people existed, but nobody else remembers them. And you're like, what the F is going on? And then we realized, and it's such a great plot twist because even the audience is not in on it, that like, she's the one that has disappeared and they're trying to get her back. And I was like, what the, what? Like my brain just sort of like pretzeled as like a 10 year old. That was really, really good. But I will say, since we're talking Voyager, I will say my favorite Voyager episode of all time is um, Blink of an Eye when they're like. Great episode. Yeah. Yeah. When they're like stuck in like the atmosphere of that planet and they're like the planets, like society is like evolving so flipping fast. It's like thousands of years in like a couple hours. So cool. What a great premise. I I don't think they would have gotten that deep in TNG, to be honest. I think it was like the no, more tracks you have, the more opportunities for like yes. really cool creative stories. Yeah. I was gonna say yeah. that TNG paved the way to be able to do a story like that. Yeah, TNG walked so that Voyager can run for sure. <laughs> you know, until until you get to threshold and then you tripped and fall flat on your face. Well <laughs> threshold's <laughs> only the second season. It doesn't take long for Voyager no. to trip on yeah. itself. They, they, they <laughs> face <laughs> down on some broken glass on threshold, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah. We just we that never happened. <laughs> I am very curious to know how you two met. We met at a tutoring company about 10 years ago. I actually did the math, Andrea, because we always say about 10 years, but we don't really remember. So I did the math. It really is. It really, it was 2020. Uh, sorry, it was uh, 2012. Oh, okay. Um, and so about 10 years ago, we met at this tutoring company. We both tutored math and science. We both have degrees in science. So it's just like, it's just very natural. We spoke the same language. And mm-hmm. we actually ended up going on this camping trip I don't know why, because I'm not a big camper, but it seemed like I, a fun girl, idea. I, did, I, was doing, I was doing the girls' camping trip. Like, I, I love to camp. And every year I try to do a girls' camping trip where I, like, teach the gals, like, like some outdoor skills and stuff. Yeah, that's why Wait, you're Wait, are there. these your friends who are, like, 
that they don't have any outdoor skills and you do. So they're like, that's here's how you start a fire. Yes, that's yeah. exactly that. That's exactly I was that. like, and come on, I'll <laughs> teach you how to chop firewood and like hunt bears and stuff. Yeah, she let's did go do show that. me how to start a fire. I don't recall how to do it though. But she showed me how to chop wood and that was super fun. You know, we always have this conversation of who would survive in a zombie apocalypse. And we're both agreed that I would die very quickly. But Andrea would make it to the very bitter end because she is definitely the outdoorsy, like she has all the knowledge to survive. See, but here's, here's what I would do, though, in the zombie apocalypse. I would sacrifice myself to save you because you're the virologist. So you would be the one that develops the cure. You can't die and right away. I would die immediately after not being able to start a freaking fire. <laughs> like, I like, the electric car isn't charged. I can't run away. Yeah. <laughs> You just die of the elements, not of the the zombie part. Not of the yes. zombies. The zombies would be so disappointed because they can only have live brains. They'd be like, wow, she didn't even make it till we got to the top of this hill. But yeah, so on this camping trip, we were sitting around the fire at night talking and Cherise was like, there's this Star Trek episode I really, really love called Fistful of Datas. It's like Datas trapped in the holodeck and there's a whole bunch of Datas. And I started quoting lines from that episode because i was like i love fistful of datas oh my god and like we looked at each other and we we're like we've been really good friends for like two or three years already how have we not discovered this about each other already it was oh crazy. my goodness <laughs> yeah it was crazy and i and i will say i do remember the moment where like we went from like work you know friends to like friends friends because i had been really really struggling at university um like I was just like burnt out really, really badly. And I wasn't focused on school that semester. And I started like failing all my classes. So then I had to like drop all the classes and then try again the next semester, which was really humiliating. And like, just felt just, it just felt really bad. Right. Where I was like, Oh God, like I'm never going to get through all this. And the class, mm. it was like organic chem and like another physics class and like cell molecular biology. So it was just like, Oh God, I don't want to do these again. And Sharice was just really pragmatic about it. She's like, well, it's just kind of a spent cost at this point. Like, learn what you can from it. But, like, just regroup and take this time to sort of figure out, like, why you're so burnt out so that you can kind of, like, deal with that before next semester starts so that you can start off on the right foot. And she just took the time and spoke to me for, like, an hour at the end of the shift. And I'm telling you, the end of the shift was, like, 10 p.m. at this tutoring company because, like, it's high school students. They've got, like, baseball practice or whatever practice, and then they come in at, like, yeah. 7, 8, 9 p.m. for tutoring. So we weren't out of there until 10 or 11 sometimes every night. So she took, like, an hour to talk to me and just made me feel totally seen and heard. And I was like, wow, this woman is super special. Like, who would take the Aww. time to do that? And I remember that like it was yesterday, Sharice. And I still am like, just so thankful that like you took that time for like a work associate to to like hear me and like offer really great perspective. That was super helpful because I did go back and I took those classes and I passed and then I, you know, and ended you up graduating. Graduated. Woo -woo. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, congrats. I That's great. Yeah, congrats. I, I remember <laughs> what I said to you. I said, everyone has a bad semester. <laughs> like, yeah, because that's did. the philosophy I live by. And I told you that I had the same thing happen to me back when I was in college. I had a really tough quarter and I ended up failing all my classes. And I'm used to being a super straight A student. So that was like so hard. Um, but I just told myself, everyone has a bad quarter. And I came back and I redid the classes. I took them over the summer. I aced them all, like kind of got back on track. And it's like, when you get knocked down, you don't have to stay down. Um, yeah. yeah and everyone I, gets knocked I, down because everyone gets knocked down. And so I do remember that conversation and I'm so glad that you went back because I felt like you were very much on the brink of like, I'm, I just can't do this. Mm -hmm. And it was just it was. like, no, it was like, no, you just can't do it right now. Like, yeah, that's fine. 
just do it next time. Like it's fine. By the way, if you're ever having a bad day, Sharice is the perfect person to talk to. Cause she's like, yeah, today sucked. That sucked. All right. But tomorrow will be better. I was like, shit, you're right. Like why, why <laughs> am I 30 something? And I haven't figured that out yet. And that was 10 well, years ago. So yeah, yeah, it was great. You learn it when you learn it. Sharice yeah, yeah. question. Did uh-huh. you, were you more open to helping Andrea with listening to her because of the Star Trek connection. It's okay to say that that's it's why. The, it's probably the only reason that <laughs> there I go. That's um, Yeah. I was yeah. wearing a comm badge at the time, so that's probably oh, why. Oh, good, good, yes. I thought when you were saying that you were talking around the campfire that we were going to get a Gilgamesh story yeah. uh, and you were going to bring up some Darmok. I like the fistful of Data's swerve there, though, that happened at the last minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It well, went holodeck. It went Data. It went Data in many roles. It was like, yes. This is <laughs> and in that same conversation, the other friend who was on the trip, she and I realized that we both are, like, equally obsessed with the Golden Girls. And I was like, what? This is, like, such a Discovery camping yeah. trip. We were like, how did we not know this about each been. other? That's right. I know. I know. We did the talk GG about that The GG podcast, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a beautiful friendship. It's what definitely comes through on the TNG podcast. If you listen, it's it's a lot of fun. There's just, the energy crackles, and the fact that you both have Thank the patience. You. And I know you put so much work into it that the, the patience you have to go scene by scene, which our show clearly does not do. We do not. <laughs> uh, Kristen and I are usually like, no, we're not going scene by scene. Um, and plus, for our format, it's a little bit different. But it's not just like. And I also what I really appreciate, which is also different from our show, is that you just take it as it is and you take it within the world. And I'm constantly thinking like because I produce stuff, I've developed stories, uh, worked in entertainment, both Kristen and I. But we're always kind of like looking at it kind of from that perspective. And Mm -hmm. it's just a reminder that everyone has their own version of Star Trek. They see it in their own way. And so it influences a lot of. Uh, it influences perception and it's just refreshing though because your agenda is simply to sit down and talk about it like two friends and I think that really comes through but this week <laughs> I'm going to have you become very judgmental about an episode to figure out if it's Us a trick being or judgmental? kill let's do oh, it yes that's never happened before <laughs> never this is going to be new I was like never judgmental meanwhile I'm like I would rather gouge my eyes out every hour on the hour than watch Aquiel again you know what I'm saying like so it's in the same breath as me being like I would never who am I to judge yeah <laughs> how many episodes do you think the Aquiel tale the anger tale has persisted well, I- I think I think Sub Rosa uprooted it. Like that was our yep. low point yeah. for quite a while. And then we got to Sub Rosa and Andrea actually said, I'd rather watch Aquiel. Yes, <laughs> so I, I did. Like, All right, we, I got did. A new, we got a new low point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe in like heaven or hell per se, but like if I you know, if there is a hell and and I definitely deserve to go there, you know, for all the shitty things I've said about Star Trek at least. But they're like, welcome to hell. Uh, we're screening Aquiel and Sub Rosa and the Royale <laughs> just on a loop. I'm like, no! Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst. Not the Royale. <laughs> Absolutely. We haven't done the Royale yet. We have. We're, we are going to do Threshold later this season, though. So. Oh my <laughs> God! You're, for you're, a brave, you're, you're a braver man than I, Gunga did. This week, we're traveling to the Delta Quadrant to talk Star Trek Voyager's Drone, the second episode of season five. It premiered on UPN, United Paramount Network, rest in peace, October 21st, Mm -hmm. 1998. So happy 25th birthday to this episode. Hopefully it's not having a quarter life crisis like so many millennials did. Um, (laughs) 
it was teleplay by Brian Fuller, Mr. Uh, Pushing Daisies, Mr. Hannibal. Oh. And Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. Interesting note, if you're reading Brian Fuller and Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, Brian Fuller wrote a draft or wrote a version of the script. And then the A-N-D uh, means that then Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski as a team also get credit by it. So that's just how the Writers Guild works. Story by Brian Fuller and Harry Doc Clore, who I'll talk about in a second, directed by Les Landau. Memory Alpha describes the episode, a transporter accident involving the Doctor's mobile emitter and Seven of Nine's nanoprobes results in the creation of a 29th century Borg. Oh, so cool. Yeah, the Borg names himself One, and spoiler alert, sacrifices himself at the end of the episode to save the ship, though mainly, I think, Seven of Nine. Um, <laughs> this is a great episode for Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine, where she gets to be a mentor to a Borg rather than a victim of the Borg. Uh, for Trek, Mary Kill, we've only really talked about a couple of episodes of Voyager. We did Caretaker, and then we did Sunkatsi. With uh, that was the episode between Seven of Nine mm-hmm. fighting the Rock. With the Rock, so great. We did kill that one. Uh, we are going to get into um, <laughs> a little bit more about Jerry Ryan being on on Voyager. It's a pretty big deal for a lot of reasons, but I wanted to uh, mention this about Harry Doc Clore, who had the story by credit, who shares the story credit with Brian Fuller. Uh, this is also from Memory Alpha. In 1994, he became the only person in the United States to earn simultaneous PhDs, one in physics and one in chemistry. He provided provided stories to three prior episodes of Voyager, and he also wrote on Gene Ronberry's Earth Final Conflict, which I thought was a good show the first season. I enjoyed that as a kid. Um, He is now the CEO and co-executive founder at Beyond Imagination, Inc., an AI-powered humanoid robotics company. So... Uh, for all the nice Star Trek work he did, he's still developing Skynet. And uh, yeah, I was going to say, so he's <laughs> so so this dude who has con- who has concurrent PhDs in physics and freaking chemistry is going to bring about the end of the world. So thank you. <laughs> if he had, if he had a minor in like mythology and lore, maybe he'd be a little more hesitant. Yeah, <laughs> but that's right. like, have you learned nothing, sir? Like this is this right here is why I always say thank you to my listening devices, my Alexa or my series or whatever. It's like, always just say thank you at the end. Even chat GPT. I'm like, thanks buddy. Please don't kill me. <laughs> I will only say that if it's a, if it's a successful um, function executed, if it doesn't understand ah. what I'm saying, I'm like, well, there we it was bad communication between both of us. So who am I thanking you? <laughs> you didn't apologize to me for misunderstanding. So you know, well, fans, didn't work fans, fans of the office will understand when my listening device does not do something correct. I will say, you know, Siri, you ignorant slut. Like just like Dwight, right. you ignorant <laughs> slut. Like so. Wow, this guy sounds extremely. Well, first of all, interesting. extremely interesting. interesting, super smart. But yeah, AI powered humanoid robotics company. Yeah. Uh, so he's never seen so iRobot clearly. No, right. No. Or he's trying to he's trying to develop something like those Boston Dynamics people or whatever it's called with a you know some sort of AI powered brain. But so scary. <laughs> they, if they, right. if only they had thought to staff him instead, maybe his entire trajectory yeah. could have been changed. Like, just stick to writing. <laughs> stick to writing for Star Trek. There's plenty of shows yeah. that are happening right now. Like, just do that. 
So Sharice, I was already listening to TNG podcast and then I checked the website and then I saw that you're like a voy or heard and it was a combination. It was like, you're a Voyager super fan. Mm -hmm. uh, it's your favorite Star Trek. So I guess my question is why? Yeah, it's definitely the, the female captain was a big pull for me. And I feel like, cause like in season one of, of TNG, the female roles were very oh, minimized so and yeah. weird. Yeah. Like yes. they were there, but they were kind of useless or they were like, you know, Tasha Yar's like tough, hot chick grew up at a rapist colony, but she can stand up for herself. Oh, she gets kidnapped because she's so desirable. It just was kind of like, what, what is going on right now? Um, and I felt like, but by the end of it, they, they kind of got a handle on all of that. But I feel like Voyager came out strong. Like when it started, you were just like, Ooh, who is this? Because Janeway was just, she was just on it. She was on it. She was beautiful and feminine. They didn't turn her into this female man character, which I think was really great. Um, and I just felt like it was very, it was an uncommon way to see women as strong and brave and feminine for the 90s and a little bit for today too, but especially for the 90s, I think it was kind of ahead of its time. So it just really inspired me and hooked me in. And I feel like, again, Belana, such a great character, Seven of Nine, such a great character. Uh, Kess kind of wanted to kill her, but even though she started out as like this, this like simpleton mousy kind of character, this childlike character, they turned her into a freaking doctor, like into a genius and like really empathetic. And they kind of upped her character growth really, really quickly to a place where she was not insufferable. And I, I just really appreciated that. I appreciated seeing strong, smart women on TV. Andrea, how do you feel about Voyager either now or in retrospect or... I enjoy Voyager. I do. Um, TNG has my heart because it's the thing my dad and I used to sit down and watch every week together. And he passed away when I was 19. So it was our very special thing together. Mm -hmm. So it's super nostalgic for me. Voyager is not as nostalgic because when it came out, I was already in middle school. So I was starting to do the like, you know, I'm involved in my school and the hormones and boys and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So it was less, mm -hmm. less like childlike wonder at Voyager but I will say this I do have a big problem with some of the behind the scenes stuff that was going on during the filming of Voyager where Kate Mulgrew who played Captain Janeway was and has gone on record to say and a bunch of the other actors in the senior staff have gone on to say that like she was truly terrible to Jerry Ryan um who played seven of nine <clears throat> because she had, she retrospectively spoke about it where it's like, I really wanted my female character to be like strong, competent and all that stuff, which it was, her character was very much along those lines. But then they brought this like hot, blonde, thin, tall bombshell that like stole the show and ratings skyrocketed after seven of nine came on. And then she was like on the cover of all these magazines and all this stuff, right? And so she, Kate Mulgrew felt really, really, threatened by that and was very angry that they brought this character on because she's like look i'm the captain i'm the woman i'm the tough one i'm the smart one i'm competent we don't need to bring like a space cheerleader on so initially she said her anger was directed towards 709 as a character but eventually spilled over to jerry ryan as an actress and made her life on set pretty unbearable and made this whole show of like telling producers that like they should make a rule where she wasn't even allowed to use the bathroom when she was on filming days because it took too long for her to get like in and out of her costume cat suit 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, her cat suit looked like one piece, but it had like this like boning corset inside that like dug into her ribs and was like very very painful. But like so they the network was like, "Yeah, we can't not allow cast members to use the bathroom." But the actor who played Chicote even spoke about it later to be like, "It was just so unnecessarily cruel." So all of these scenes were like Janeway is such a positive mentor for seven. I'm like, it just makes me cringe. Cause I'm like, girl, you're wrong. You're like angry at the wrong person. Like you're angry at the system for bringing on this blonde bombshell, but like she was just hired to do a job. So your anger is totally misdirected and you're wrecking somebody's personal and professional life right now. And like, I find that especially women who don't support other women, I find that to be like pretty reprehensible yeah i definitely think for me it colors going back and watching it and i have other issues Mm -hmm. that i brought with me to voyager because i was a big ds9 head so like voyager was just like okay i've already seen this in tng and ds9 did stuff better that's yeah it's very different like yeah but now like going back and watching voyager knowing all the the background stuff but on top of all that stuff about what how kate mulgrew treated jerry ryan and what she was upset about and all that stuff. The other, I mean, cause really it was just like, let's put some tits and ass on the show. That yeah, was really hundred yeah, percent. It was I a mean, network yeah. direction, all that yeah. stuff you can get. Uh, it's really creepy. Like there's an auction, Star Trek auction going on right now. This, this man, Greg Jean, who passed away and he has, he has props and costumes from literally anything you could think of from Star Trek and then stuff you didn't even remember. But when you see it, you gasp because he has the original Botany Bay from Spacey, like the actual ship, he has that. But he also has Seven of Nine's silver cat suit from her first season, which is like, oh what? God. Why? Yeah. But uh, I guess, Sharice, I, I put that in the notes for you because I said I saw that you were a mm-hmm. cosplayer for Seven of Nine. So if you want to get that. Uh, but yeah, other- I, could, I, cannot, I could not fit in that cat suit in my wildest <laughs> dreams. Um, I don't even know how she was like physically able to put I'm, that outfit yeah. on. Right. on the show. Like every time I watch the show. I mean, but it's like, it's like the, the guy who played, um, what's the guy, the guy with R2-D2, the tall guy, C-3PO, oh, like you, uh, yeah. Anthony something. So. Yeah. So that guy, I don't know his name. It's like that guy. Like she's yeah. like that tiny, like unnaturally yeah. small. Daniels. Anthony, <laughs> like, Anthony Daniels. Sorry. I had to get it there out. There it is. Well, and you know, like they always say like the camera adds 10 pounds and she looks so thin with the camera adding 10 pounds, I was like, Jesus, like how, which like, I think she said she ended up with like some scarring because like the boning was like poking her so bad. But yeah, that's, that's, geez. I I wonder how much that cat suit is going to sell for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I know there's a lot of people listening who already know the trivia that we're about to get into and they're just waiting for us to say it. But before we do that, I'm not defending Kate Mulgrew. I'm, uh, this is not, I'm just going to shade it a little bit more. So the other part of it is because she was interviewed for that captain's documentary series that William Shatner did where he did one-on-one interviews yeah. with all the Star Trek captains, which is great. I, I think it's fantastic. If you can find the full interviews with each one, which I think is harder to do, they're very worth it. But Kate Mulgrew and hers, it, and she is amazing with Shatner. The two of, she is like, it's not masculine energy, but she matches his machismo effective. Mm-hmm. Essentially. It's, it's a, yeah. and she does it without gagging. And I don't know how she does yeah. it. Cause I watched that and I was just like, I don't love this guy. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't love it. She can belly up to the bar is basically, but she, in yeah. that interview, she's very clear. Like this was all I did. It took up my whole life. It ruined my family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she, yeah. she was making a lot of sacrifices. Her kids were in like emotional distress, you know, yeah. because she wasn't there. And then here comes the network. They made this rule for her. So, okay. 
sorry, Brian, we're the worst, I know. But no. <laughs> so, so when they first when they first brought her on, they brought her on to replace the woman who was going to play the captain. They had got this older oh. woman with like silver hair. So they were kind of trying to do the Picard thing, but female. They brought in this woman. They filmed, they filmed the pilot episode with this woman, and then this woman quit. So then they hired her, like Kate Milgrew, to come in and to replace this role. So she redid the pilot episode, and they gave her all these promises. You're going to be the first female captain. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. But they also said, but we don't know how long you're going to last. Because that first woman quit, it just proves to us what we already knew is that a woman can't be a lead. Sure. They can't yeah, handle, they always, they handle yeah, pressure. That's the first right? thing people like that So that's say. what they told her. So she's like trying to hold her own and trying to like step into this role of the first female captain, yada, yada. And then a few years later, after, um, you know, the actress who played Kessley left the show and they're like, uh-oh, we need another blonde. We only had one blonde. Now our, our blonde's gone. And they go on, they found Seven of Nine specifically to appeal to a younger audience. So they brought her in for TNA. Mm -hmm. That's why they brought her in. And they yeah, said, we're going to make yeah. her the focus. We're going to make sure there's a lot of episodes around her. And it's kind of like all the promises that they made to Kate Mulgrew. They didn't even let her comment on her character and what her character would or wouldn't say or do in a in an scene yeah. until three years into working. So she worked three years to be able to have a say on her character and then like a year later was replaced. Oh, and then she said they made a rule when she started working on the set that kids were no longer allowed on set, which used to be the case before, apparently. So her kids were no longer allowed to just kind of be doing their homework in the back or whatever while she's That's filming. so messed up. And these shows are like 16 hour days. Yeah. So she said that her, yeah. So she said her kids were no longer allowed to, she wasn't allowed to see them basically throughout the day because of this new rule. And so her kids were so like, just kind of scarred by all of that, that they have never ever seen a single episode of the show and they will never ever watch a single episode of the show and i feel like she was just put in a really crappy position which again doesn't defend her bad behavior because jerry ryan didn't do anything like she was just doing no, a job jerry ryan, she just yeah she got hired from, literally everyone yeah. else who was in charge who were causing all the stuff you take an actor's vanity in general. Whenever they feel yeah. threatened, they lash out. And sometimes they feel threatened by, we're bringing in a new character to juice things up. And it's like, what, I'm not good enough? What am I, chop, chop liver? But also the other part of it is that edict about the kids could have only come from one person, Rick Berman. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, so... Yeah, exactly. This is that misdirected anger. It's like you're it's well, it's yeah. misdirected, but it's also the only person she could lash out at and have oh, any sure. effect on. And yeah. so that's and like fired. that's what I mean. It's the only vulnerable part in this uh machinery that's controlling and ruining her life. She's yeah. like, aha, this this thing that they want to promote uh, is actually vulnerable. It's a young actress and all that stuff. Uh and so I can shove around some of my weight on this person yeah i'm saying all that because jerry ryan is obviously in a very tough spot anytime you're a new cast member brought in yeah. to save the show yeah to like an established that, show. everyone's yeah. gonna hate you for the most part and listen i i understand that people love voyager and i think they're entitled to love the star trek they want to love just if we're stacking casts it's kate mulgrew and then I guess Robert Picardo a little bit, but that cast could needed good performers on it. It was not a good, like you might like Bellana Torres and all that, but like the, the, the performances and yeah. how they were written, it's a combination. Cause I think the writing for all these characters, they were such broad archetypes without anything interesting going on that they were really relying on that idea of like, we'll let the actors charisma carry the way. And guess what? That doesn't always work out. I think Voyager has a lot of missed casting 
And Jerry Ryan actually being brought in, they got very lucky that she not only looks what satisfies the network, but she wound up being a very genuine and great performer. Mm-hmm. Such a great character. Yeah, yeah. great, a good character. That's a great, another great point. Yes, that, an interesting character to create conflict, but also then a good performance behind it. Uh, now we'll get into the trivia that a lot of people already know. And if it were not for Jerry Ryan, we would not have had Barack Obama uh, as the president of the United States. <laughs> so crazy. If it were not for Jerry Ryan being on Star Trek Voyager, that we would not have had Barack Obama as president because she divorced her husband. That became final in 1999, but that was not her first year on the show. So imagine she's working a network job full time. She's got this husband and like that's a strained marriage all the way. And then she's got a co-star, Kate Mulgrew, who is making life for her at work a living hell. And it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And so she filed for a divorce. And if it were not for that, because then the Democrats, Democratic operatives pushed for getting those divorce records unsealed. And that's all really gross, the politicking that went on for that. Yeah. But the reveal of the divorce proceedings finds out that uh, Jerry Ryan's husband, Jack Ryan, who is a senator or Senate candidate, you know, was pushing for her to have public sex at sex clubs and all this other stuff. And it tanked his career and it paved the path for Barack Obama to win the Senate seat. And then we we know the rest in Illinois. And then we know the rest that happened there. So congrats, though, to Jerry Ryan for changing the course of U.S. history. I'm sorry it came came as a result of so much pain and suffering for your art and also in your personal life. So. Uh, well, maybe I know, should flip that in your personal life and also for your art. <laughs> <laughs> right. It sounds like she just had a rough, like solid decade of just yeah. horror, but through yeah. all that horror, all of her exposure on the show and popularity has led to some really amazing things in the world. And like her personally, um, I was talking to the guy who used to be the head of the science department at NASA for like the last 30 years or whatever. He recently retired. He recently retired and then immediately went back to work. I think he was retired for all of two weeks. uh, (laughs) He's like, nope, not doing that. Put me back. (laughs) The happy retirement cake was still in the refrigerator at NASA when he came back. Yeah, it was. It was pretty funny. I was like, I was like, how are you enjoying retirement? He was like, oh, I'm back. I was like, wait, didn't we just have a whole (laughs) congratulations, you're retired thing like two weeks ago? He's like, yep. (laughs) it's like i'm back but um but he was saying how when he met jerry ryan it was like one of his highlights of his career because you know he he does a lot of the um when people are doing movies and films and stuff like that about nasa stuff about space stuff like he's their their kind of interpreter and so he was giving her a tour at some point or whatever and anyways he was sharing we had a star trek day conversation in our community and he was sharing about his time meeting um jerry ryan and how like meaningful it was and how she was with people and you know, with the kids that were there and stuff like that. And it's just made it, and that's just one person's story. So I know not just Jerry Ryan, but a lot of the actors from all of the treks have had similar experiences where they've just been really inspirational to people. And I just think that's really, really cool. So it sucks to hear that her life was awful. Like Mm. I can't imagine she even enjoyed being able to act because of everything going on behind the scenes. But that, that time she spent, that time she invested has given her the clout she has now. I, I really love seeing her, and no, you know, no spoilers, but she she is in Star Trek Picard, so whether you love it or hate it or you're, you know, in the middle, her character is really cool, and she's she's wearing, like, normal clothes. She gets she doesn't have to be, like, trapped in the cat suit again, and she's a pretty kick-ass character. And you're like, all right, look at you, like, continuing your story through the Trek universe. In a way, she very much, like, plays by her own 
kind of rules and is led very much by like strong morals. And I was like, you go and you just kick ass in the galaxy girl, go do that. That is the story that I really wanted to see for her continuing. So um, it makes me really happy to see her get to be like just this awesome character. The cherry on top of all this is that in 1999, she started dating Star Trek Voyager showrunner, Brandon Braga. Yeah. Uh, and they dated for five years and it was once they started dating that Kate Mulgrew backed off. <laughs> because now she could get fired yet yes. again. Once, because I, I was saying before, like there is the soft spot in the machinery that she could mm-hmm. exploit. But then once Jerry Ryan, you mentioned like, it's nice to see Jerry Ryan grow into this like politically savvy person. I think she's always been a politically savvy person. Yeah. yeah <laughs> she's really. like, I'm going to date the showrunner and now the star can't get, has to yeah, get off my back. In one year, she's like, I'm going to clean up my marriage and I'm going to clean up my professional life and I'm going to be fine. Yeah. She's like in one fell swoop. She's like, yep. I'm taking care of business. <laughs> what a glow up for Brandon Braga though. Right. Yeah, uh, really. This is, my girlfriend. Jeez. this is my girlfriend. <laughs> you know, he yeah. was just like falling over himself every time he walked out in public. Yeah. <laughs> he said of her performance in this episode, Jerry Ryan was perfect. And he said that okay. in April 2000 okay, to Cinefantastique. I, I'm going to just throw this out there that people didn't know in April 2000 or whenever that interview was happening, that uh, that people knew that they were dating. So <laughs> it's just funny to go back now and look at his comments about she was amazing and perfect and flawless. Yes, of course. Yeah, you're like, I mean, she she really was, though. Yeah, but good for him for not being just the asshole. It's like, I got her. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, he's totally. like, and I, it's like, and I cherish every moment with her. That's good. Yeah. That's great. So here's where we talk about some specific thoughts about this episode. I did kind of spoil it with the Brandon Braga comment, but I just thought it was funny. Um, (laughs) So this episode, for example, clearly sets the stage for the birth of the Delta Flyer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from memory alpha, I just pulled a couple of notes. Joe Minoski and Brandon Braga, who wrote the episode. Joe Minoski, if anyone's not aware, he's written some of the trippiest episodes of Star Trek. He wrote Darmok pretty Mm -hmm. famously. That's like his his big one there. I remember reading a Ron Moore quote, I think it's like Joe Minoski lives in the mountains and does drugs. And every once in a while, he'll send us some really trippy script. <laughs> <laughs> he might have written masks. That sounds Listen, maybe. Uh, Joe, uh, out there, yeah. Joe out there living his best life. Like yep. go trip on a bunch of drugs by yourself where you can't bother anyone. And then just send us these super effing trippy scripts every once in a while. Sounds yeah. like a plan. Like, uh, we'll also pay you enough where you can maintain that lifestyle. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. And Minoski in that same Cinefantastique issue with uh, Jerry Ryan being perfect, he noted, perhaps soberly, I think the episode was very successful. Uh, Bra- uh, Brandon Braga cited the outing as one of several fifth season standouts he believed were, quote, really high concept, well-produced, well-acted shows, uh, and about the best we've ever done on the series. So drone along with counterpoint, timeless and dark frontier. And I, I agree just to tie it back into the, what I was saying about Braga fawning mm. over Jerry Ryan quote drone is one of my favorites. It was a classic great star Trek episode because only seven of nine could bring that tear to your eye because she didn't fully understand her own emotions and was experiencing grief for the first time. You felt it as though you were experiencing it for the first time. Right. Uh, in addition, Braga remarked, when Seven gets into the role of mentor the same way Janeway has been her mentor and gets to experience the loss of her child, that's what makes the episode very successful. Correct, Brandon Braga. 
who's a very yeah. smart guy. Uh, any um, any other specific thoughts, straight thoughts about this episode that either of you have? His his fawning all over Jerry Ryan aside for personal reasons, I think he was dead on the money though with his analysis of this episode she doesn't fully understand her grief and her pain and her emotions because she's a fairly emotionless character you know she's she's sort of you know the 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 voyager version of data that's like experiencing humanity and and for the first time oh, that's and like interesting trying to figure out you know you think she's, yeah, um, she's uh is she unemotional or is she guarding her emotions uh i don't know i always thought she was fairly unemotional and didn't quite comprehend why humans in particular were so emotional mm. um but i just kind of saw her as like the data of voyager where it's like you're sort of witnessing humanity and trying to make sense of it in a way that makes sense to you so at the end of this episode i mean when when one is dying and he has sacrificed himself to save the ship and really save seven she repeats what she said at the beginning of the episode when he grabs her hand she says you're mm-hmm. hurting me and she's speaking about the emotional pain of him not allowing the doctor to operate on him to save his life and she says mm-hmm. you're hurting me and he says you will adapt and it's like just i mean absolute ugly crying on my side of the computer this morning <laughs> watching this she understands why it's painful but it's kind of the first time she has felt this pain so she's sort of it's very new to her uh, it's just the whole thing is just so heartbreaking Let's get into the grades. Um, I usually go first and just to break the ice here. And I'm going to be very interested to know if you're going to throw a flag on what I'm starting with as a great scene. Uh, we, maybe we all have an idea, our own idea of what great scenes are. But for me, it's like that's dramatic and interesting and it, it can move mm-hmm. the plot along or reveal something about character. That's all. So the first one I have is just about nine and a half minutes in, though. Uh, it's after the shuttle accident that causes the transporter accident, which causes the the Borg nanoprobes and the doctor's mobile emitter to fuse. And we see the the Borg nano, uh, tubules pop out. And we, it's this building horror. But Ensign Mulcahy yes. reports to the science lab and to check in on the doctor's mobile emitter, which is uh, overnight our diagnostics been run. And then, bam, a pair of Borg tubules shoot into his neck. Uh, seven, seven of nine senses something's wrong. Harry detects a Borg force field has gone up. Then Seven and Tuvok investigate. Uh, I have a lot of issues with the way the security team broke into that room, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> but but they walk into the, Welcome the to science world, buddy. Yeah. The very generic <laughs> science lab. What kind of science happens there? Whatever. Anyway, in the science the lab, science, yeah, seven of nine discover the room is now green tinted. So, you know, the Borg are involved. And then suddenly there's a Borg birthing chamber in the middle of the room. She's able to pass through the force field and she opens it. And then that's when we see the CGI Borg baby floating in, I guess, Borg amniotic fluid. But mm-hmm, I yep. think that whole sequence is like the really... To me, the first great moment of the great scene in the episode, it's a nice sequence of dread and curiosity and what's going on. Um, it's a nice payoff to the mystery, the building mystery about the mobile emitter. Uh, the next one is right after commercial break. The, it's from the baby's perspective and it's through the amniotic fluid, I guess. And mm-hmm. it's seven Janeway and Tuvok. Mainly, I just thought this sequence was a cool shot and it's a cool idea to shoot it this way. That last part about the... Borg maturation chamber and how that viewpoint is coming inside of the amniotic fluid and then outside of the fluid in the room. Like, I just love the mise-en-scene of that. Like the, how cool is that? That we're seeing from the baby's perspective? What? Yes. Like, well shot. Yeah, that was just a really cool idea. And I like that it's got the fisheye lens. So it looks like it's 
coming from a weird place. Right, like people are peering in. Yes, and I love that everything's tinted green and you can see the people and you can see them peering down to the camera, right? Like they're bending, they're looking, only one can look at a time. They're backing up, they're coming closer. I just thought that was great. It's kind of like, oh, this is what babies must feel like when people are talking to the mother's stomach, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I thought that that was just really great. And then as far as the security team, um, before they break in, I loved the shot of them walking through the hall with these big giant guns because mm-hmm. the camera was like really low to the ground and looking straight up. So they look like mythic. Right. And just yes. the way they were like, we're, we're a business, you know, we mean business. Like that's what it looked like. And it just really reminded me of first contact and how everybody was moving through the ship in that uh, movie towards engineering, main engineering, where all the Borg had taken a hold. And they kind of mm-hmm. looked like that, right? It was just like this action-packed scene where they're just, they're stumping through, they've got their weapons pulled, and you're like, you know something's about to go down. The payoff, I guess, is not there because nothing goes down. But that part looked really cool. <laughs> I was yeah, just like, so, oh, they looked tough. <laughs> great point. That, like, to me, the other, the flanking security guards two of them should have gone in first or like those four should have gone in and fanned out to take positions. And then Tuvok and seven enter seven is the the most vulnerable, not because she's a woman. She's the only non-security guard of that bunch. So she yep. should have come in towards the end. Uh, I think they missed the scare with Mulcahy who was dazed, um, like falling on them, like from the shadows, like, cause he's stumbling. You could have had them enter and then like had the camera reveal him like leaned against the wall in a weird spot. And it would have been mm-hmm. like, do you remember in the ring when she opens the closet door after the first attack and you just get that mm-hmm. glimpse what happened to the, mm-hmm. the victim? Like you could have just had a scary shot like that. They didn't do that, but whatever. That's not, I'm not complaining. I still think it's a great <laughs> scene that happened, but I do think it was weird that this guy has two holes in his neck and they're not immediately thinking, oh, this guy's been assimilated. I don't know. I see I see Borg tech is on the ship and a guy's lying on the ground with two holes, with in, holes his neck. in his neck. Well, but yeah. if you if, if you remember on first contact yeah. when that really hot guy got assimilated on the shell of the ship, on the hole oh, of the ship, you're he, talking like, about turned Neil, into a drone. Ensign Hawk. Ensign Hawk. Okay. Ensign yeah, Hawk. there he is Hawk. He got turned into a drone in like 10 seconds. He turned around and like the little tubules were like all over his face and stuff and so they sometimes it depends on if it's convenient or not convenient for the storyline but sometimes when people get assimilated they're like instant drones like it takes seconds and then other times when they're assimilated it's a long slow process and they need to get all their prosthetics hooked up and their arms chopped off and their eyes pulled out and so it's not really consistent but, I'm just um, saying, if I see a dude, if I hear the Borger on the ship and I see a dude on the floor with two holes in his neck, I'm thinking he's him. been assimilated. Airlock. 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 Level 10 containment field around this dude. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. Let's just go ahead and eject the entire space, entire science lab just right into space. We don't even need it. Surely we have another science lab. Surely there's yeah. another one. I will say, though, the, the photos that they had in the science lab of like the different shots of the nebula that they were exploring or whatever. I was like, yeah, I can get on board with some nebulas. I really, really can. It's like one of my favorite areas <laughs> of space to study when I teach space, which I'm currently doing right now as I teach space every year in my middle school science. And like, we're at the part where like, I'm about to start teaching nebulas and I'm like, Oh, I can't wait. So like I was seeing nebulas everywhere and I was like, yes, yes. Yeah. Luck. It's and beautiful. hundred percent. hundred percent. Okay, so I have a great scene before this. And my great scene is when the doctor wakes Bellana up and is like, wake up, you know, wake up, what wake the up. Hell, the girl? That scene cracks me up because 
I was like, privacy much? Exactly. I mean, that's what, that's the whole thing is like, he, he's a doctor, but like with the worst bedside manner, like he has, he learns it, you know, over the course of the show or whatever, but he's still a little bit clueless even by the end. Uh, but, but that whole scene just makes me laugh where she's like, I am trying to sleep. You know, this is my one day to sleep. And he's like, come on, early bird gets the gawk. Get up, get up. You know, like yeah. this is my livelihood here. And she's like, seriously, like it'll be fixed when it's fixed. Chill out. And then she goes to the shower and he follows her like, okay. So like I was saying, it's just like, buddy, like there, what are you doing? And it, I don't know, just the whole scene always makes me laugh every time because you're like, who would do this? The doctor. The doctor would do this. I just See, thought that, that scene was... stood out because it's like, why is this scene happening in here? It's completely unnecessary except for the getting naked part. And right. I did, also, I yeah. did like why, the whole... Why is, there like a, why is there like a subspace communication terminal in a sonic shower at all? Right. I do like <laughs> the idea, though, that it's like the monitor snaps on and it's the doctor's face and he's like, hey, everybody, season two me is back. <laughs> So if you want this to stop, you'll fix my emitter immediately. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to be this annoying shit again. Uh, but I, I mean, I also, I I didn't take the note down. I couldn't tell. Did they cut and it's a body double uh, when she's taking off? Because we see her back and like side boob and all that stuff. This is clearly like the network being like TNA, TNA. Yeah. We need to keep it sexy whenever possible. Uh, and I, I don't know if it was a body double or not. I guess in my mind, I'm, Roxanne Biggs Dawson is now, Roxanne Dawson, Belana Torres, she's now a very successful working TV director. She's directed quite a lot. Uh, and she's her. in the, she, I think at one, I mean, at one point she's pregnant during the run of the show. And now I can't yeah, remember. Is. is it later this season? Is it after this season? I can't remember. But um, I was also like, if it's not a body double, congrats. Season five on a network show. You're rocking a nice body there. Yeah, that scene really irritated me. I was like, excuse me, what the F are you doing waking me up? Number one, like <laughs> silent mode, do not disturb mode, like anybody. And then that's the technology they really needed on the ship. They really needed that. And they're like, it, it, see, I actually had that as my worst Trek trope where I was like, just the ability to like FaceTime into somebody's quarters, like without that, you know, at least with FaceTime or Zoom or anything, like the other person has to accept, accept the it. call mm -hmm. yeah in order for well, it to I be think like the a chief medical officer call. the chief medical officer has the ability to relieve the captain of command if he's determined to be medically you know there she is determined to be medically uh, incompetent so or unable so i would imagine the doctor has broad latitude the chief medical officer has broad latitude like uh, he can just override it even if there wasn't oh, yeah exactly but we know there is not. We know there is no privacy on the ship. His yeah. no, there is none. But his chipper way of being like, "I'm a doctor. It's nothing I haven't seen before." I was like, "Yeah, but I'm not allowing you to see this right now. So like, right. f off. Like, I'm in right. the shower. Also, if you continue to do this, I'm gonna smash your hollow emitter and be like, "Oops, accident. I guess you're never gonna get one now." So to that's me, what that's what get. was missing from the scene. I mean, I don't like the character of Belana Torres. It's like a feisty Latina and a Klingon. Y she's yeah, gonna fight yeah. everything, but in yeah, this yeah, moment, totally. she's not cranky about like angry, angry about this. Like she just throws the towel at the screen. I'm like, I think her fist would have made more sense. She yeah, just yeah, would totally. punch the camera off. <laughs> like she's like, stop looking at me. Or like yeah. she had no cutting remarks. Like, you know, you're the most perverted set of photons I've ever seen. Whatever. Yeah. It's like there's nothing. Sharice, <laughs> you're on the you're on the board with the most controversial take of the episode so far. Woohoo! 
So, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> there is, this is the first time I've erected the scoreboard just for this one. <laughs> and it's not a judgment of like you or anything. I'm like, like what you like. Uh, it's, it's a, I think the thing is, it's like, given where, the, I guess the other part of it is like, given where the episode goes, it's a moment yeah. of levity, I guess, yes, before it, it gets too serious, which I think this is my problem with Voyager. It's like, it's very plotty. And, and so it's like, you could have had fun with the other stuff too, but I get mm -hmm. it. It's like, they're. I think it's also a misdirect where they're trying to say it's not about the Borg, right? They're trying to step that off just for a second longer to say like, it's about this accident and the doctor's mobile emitter because once it's clear it's about the Borg it's not about the doctor's mobile emitter right, right. <laughs> like, I, do think, I do think it was a moment of brevity and also with like the doctor trying to take pictures during like a crisis I think all of this is like moments of brevity and lightness before everything gets really serious because it ends on a very dark and serious note like there pretty much isn't any laughter after this let's see my next great scene after the birthing chamber perspective was Janeway meets with Seven of Nine to discuss the report on this drone's amazing capabilities. It's got a 29th century technology uh, evolved from Borg nanoprobes. It's got its own transporter system, multidimensional adaptability. I'm not quite sure what that means. Reactive body armor, also not quite sure what that means. It's kind of what the Borg already have. Uh, it's like, you know, I guess fancier shielding. But the main thing is like it can transport itself other places. Um, and Seven is trying to say like, Listen, it's a couple of hours at this rate of, of evolution before its personal force fields come on and it blocks us out. But I have time right now to just kill this thing. And Janeway tells her to hold on. She's like, what if we can keep him from interfacing with the collective? It's established it's a him because uh, it used Mulcahy's DNA to make a boy. We don't even get that aspect of the episode that Ensign Mulcahy, also a glow up. He had a baby with seven of nine and the doctor. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is nobody going to talk about this dude had a baby with her? The funnier thing would have been Harry Kim. It would have paid off yes. his crush. That would have yeah. been much better, but they that obviously have a, well, the writers clearly did not like Garrett Wong at this point and didn't, but didn't want to fire him because it would have been more expensive to bring someone else in. Anyway, so uh, so Janeway is basically saying like, you know what? Let's try this first. I want murder to be the last resort. Why don't you mentor him, be our ambassador to him? I really like Mulgrew's performance here. And I'll get into it a little bit later, I think. Even knowing that she f***ing hates Jerry Ryan in this scene, I still think it's a really good scene. Uh, I also think that Janeway, just from the character motivation standpoint, she's already had a standoff with the Borg and won, just barely. And out of that, she got seven of nine. Now she has this, this life form, which could potentially be an equalizer the next time they encounter the Borg. So she's got that going, but also she knows that this is a huge situation. Mm -hmm. So she knows, oh, I'm an iBorg right now. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to a, pull a Jean-Luc Plus my scorpion yes. gambit, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna have the best of both worlds. Well, I didn't mean to go there, but that's. <laughs> so, but how, many, is, how many Star Trek episodes can you name in one sentence? <laughs> <laughs> I think that pushed. That was a. It's I think like I reached my threshold. Enterprise. <laughs> I agree that. So all this, I watched this. You know, as a kid, I had no idea about the behind the scenes drama until being an adult. Like much, much, much later, when they were all kind of open and free to discuss things because it couldn't hurt their careers at this point in any way, shape or form. So here, knowing all the stuff I know now about the tension, 
it's amazing that it for me it never came through on the show it never came through like all those sweet moments of like mentor mentee never saw a thing also credit to jerry ryan jerry ryan doesn't look like she's pained to be in this moment like they're right. both in character it's very professional <laughs> and it's gotta be super hard because i know i mean i know acting you become a different person and all of that but you have to use your real person to make the new person that you're acting like so i mean to push some of those things to the side or maybe they incorporated them i don't know what whatever it is totally impressive totally impressive because it does not show that there's any animosity or strife between them at all in, in any of these episodes or scenes, um, except for the ones where there's manufactured strife for the plot line. Mm-hmm. Now I will say with this whole conversation about what should we do about the drone? And, you know, I want to, I don't, I don't want to murder him is very Janeway. Like this episode to me is very Janeway. And I do think this is a, I think seven of nine herself is Hugh. And it's the Hugh we wanted to see back in TNG when we were like, but what mm-hmm. happens to Hugh? Like, where does he go? What does he do? Who does he become? And we don't get that. This is why Seven's on the show. We get to see that. Oh, this is what could happen. This is what Seven has become. And then with this drone, um, which is what I thought was interesting about this particular episode, is that it's like, now we get to see how far Seven has come. And in a more literal sense, she's kind of like dealing with her inner child or her inner demons or her previous Borg self or whatever. In raising this drone, she's dealing with her own stuff as a recovered drone, you know, which I just think like those layers are really interesting. Now I will say there's an episode of Voyager where they come into contact with this ship that's being run by Borg children who came out of the maturation chamber too soon. And it's like really sporadic and weird. And Janeway's first thought, no hesitation is she goes to the doctor and she says, create a bioweapon so we can gas all those kids. And there's like no sympathy. So I feel like there's a bit of inconsistency with the writers when it comes to dealing with Borg from Janeway's perspective. But in this episode, I think so too. Yeah. In this episode, she's very much like, I, do, I don't want to kill. That's like my last thing on my mind. And I like this version. Uh, Lex's great scene is Seven activates the drone and tries to tell this drone. The drone basically has like a basic operating system. Like you've started your new iPhone and has its basic questions that you have to answer. And Seven's trying to get around that menu and, and realizes that that's not going to work. I got to hack this shit. So she plugs in to the, the Borg. Uh, she plugs into this drone and... Then the drone kind of turns the tables on her and starts downloading her knowledge and, and won't let go. Right? She's only able to turn the tables back when she reveals an emotion, when she says, you're hurting me. And a great yeah. moment for Jerry, Jerry Ryan. You believe she's in pain and a great performance by the by this guy, J. Paul Bomer, who plays uh, one which that's not his name yet. He's just the drone, but he reacts to that because he's gotten enough. I guess one of the most basic bits of information that was downloaded was emotions. <laughs> so once she expresses an emotion, he recognizes that I should stop. And he does. This is pretty intense. It's like an intense moment where she's really uh, trapped and helpless here. And where everyone's and, firing yeah. phasers and they're totally useless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're yes. like, well, I guess we're screwed. We should, we definitely no. shouldn't let this 29th century board <laughs> develop because he's going to take over the ship. Just the concept um, of a 29th century Borg is so terrifying because the Borg are very, very scary right now as we, you know, in the present day in Voyager, right? So like they're scary now. And then you add four or 500 years of technological leaps and bounds. It's like, oh my gosh, even the look of this Borg, of of the drone, he looks like Borg, but so cool and like different and evolved, right? He kind of looked like, it looked like they had made that 
costume out of like craft foam and some expanding foam just looked like a lot of foam type stuff right it made more of like a a shell instead of individual sort of parts mm-hmm. that were plated together to make an armor it's definitely more arm yeah more armor e he looked like a little shuttle yes he did he totally did he looked sort of like a, <laughs> like a unibody kind of like all sort of one piece but the the idea of a borg and their borg strength grabbing a human or even like a Klingon or whatever and like breaking all their bones and the way that he grabbed seven and she said, you're hurting me when he finally was like, Oh wait, okay, don't do that. Right. And he let her go, but she was so vulnerable in that moment. It was very scary. And for him to turn the tables on her and download her information against her will to like understand more. I understand why this drone did it. Right. Cause he was like trying to gather as much information as possible because he didn't have a Borg directive from like the, the, the hive, but still that whole scene was very tense. I really yeah. enjoyed it a lot. And we learned that the nanoprobes, their base technology, they're all programmed to assimilate any technology they come into contact with. And so that basically any part of a Borg is constantly trying to be the best part of a, be the best Borg it can be every bit of it. And that's a terrifying thought uh, for anyone who's just listening to the episode and hasn't watched this. The, the doctor on Starship Voyager is a hologram. And at some point during the episode that Sharice didn't like the, the, the LA time travel episode, uh, uh, a time traveler from the 29th century accidentally crash lands on Earth in the 60s and basically uh, a Bill Gates type kills him or steals his technology. It steals it and uses that to like invent the Microsoft and all, and all of our current technology cell phones. But then at some point he has like this emitter and he's able to transfer the doctor's holographic program into this mobile emitter. And then from that episode on, the doctor is able to leave the confines of sickbay and the hollow projectors there. And so there's this accident that fuses with it. So that's how we get this technology of 29th century. And it, it is a weird, it actually is a weird thing to think about even as a Star Trek fan, like, oh yeah, that is a 29th bit of technology. These board yeah. things do evolve it. If you do one plus one, that's a weird two that you just don't think mm-hmm. about. So it's a good using the Buffalo to use a, a gross term, but like using all the parts of your, of yes. your story or your world to create an interesting story, I think works there. Uh, the next great scene I have is the drone processes a data node. So I guess seven of nine's been tasking the crew. That's another sign of a new, a good way to piss off your fellow co-stars is the new person is then your character is then ordering all their characters around, but that's what's going on here. (laughs) Seven of nine, just ordering people around (laughs) saying, put put all of Wikipedia on all these nodes, I guess every bit of knowledge we have (laughs) so that this drone can assimilate them all. And then in the moment where she gives the first, she instructs uh, the drone how to access the tubules to access the data node. You hear the like little beeping processing sound. And then the actor's physical change as he basically achieves consciousness. He gets enough information mm-hmm. to suddenly become a person to understand in yeah, the world. He's sentient, and then he, yeah. Yes. And he, he starts to go, oh, I'm I'm this. I'm on a... I'm an inter- on a craft in interstellar space. Yeah. He becomes data and hue is how I wrote the notes. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it like that, but I love, love, love this scene where he's like, oh, I am I am this, you are that. And I, I love the line where he's like, where Neelix is explaining like, oh, we're explorers. And he goes, I am an explorer. And Neelix is like, yeah, we all are. And he goes, yeah, bored. And Neelix's like, well, not exactly. <laughs> 
wait a minute, wait a minute. Like we went a little too far with that one. I just, I love this. I love that part. And I really like too, that transition from like base programming to sentience. And I will say Neelix is one of my least favorite characters on oh. Voyager. He's just so like, he's just such a fucking space clown to me. I'm sorry, but he is. But like, he's also loving and kind and welcoming right so this was just like putting him just a little bit right it's like it's like working with like you know a very delicate spice like not too much not too little so this was just the right amount and he was very welcoming where you know the drone says we are i am an explorer and neelix was like not gatekeeping that at all he's like yeah buddy we all are and i was like see that's the little bit of neelix i like to see okay you can go back to the kitchen now i have four more great scenes they're moving through the corridors. It's just the two of them, Seven and Hugh. I mean one. They're walking down the corridor to a turbulence. Everyone's rushing to battle stations, and one is expressing that he has anxiety. Seven is counseling him through this experience to get on the turbolift, and you can hear it in his voice. He's very nervous. He's like, what will happen now? And then Seven's like, well, we're going to encounter the Borg, and Janeway's a good captain, and we'll see what happens. She's like, we will resist them. And he's yes. like, resistance is futile. And she's mm. like, perhaps... And you're yeah. like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> I felt his anxiety and I yeah. felt her her care for him. Where it, I mean, the whole thing is great, but where it ends is where it absolutely had to end. It solidifies what the emotional core of the story is as we go into the final act, basically. I remember this very clearly as a teenager watching this for the first time. They get onto the bridge and the Borg are doing their whole, their speech. Their their bit yeah. resistance is futile. You'll be assimilated. There is something the Borg love to do. It's a monologue. Seriously, yes, that's right. they love to announce themselves. Um, yeah. But the moment where one is expressing that he feels drawn, he can hear them, and he feels drawn to the collective. And then seven, when the can when in seven, it's like I do too, and it the camera just lingers enough on both of them, right? And, and then so you feel she it. Says it. She's like she's like I do too. Billions of voices speaking as one, calling to us. And as she's talking, it shows Chakotay being like, oh, crap. And, and, Jan- <laughs> and then Janeway takes a step forward. She's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> did I blow it? Yeah. And it really worked in that moment. Uh, so I like that scene. And then uh, the last two scenes should be pretty obvious. One beams aboard the sphere to save Voyager and just rinses the Borg. Just, oh, just yeah. takes him out. One it's really satisfying. So it's hard. He drives yeah. the spear into the uh, the nebula that they had been studying at the very beginning of the episode. Gravity well is so intense, it will crush the, the sphere. Mm-hmm. And then the last scene, he's able, because of his, his advanced shielding, he's able to save his body, but the, the organic but stuff takes, yeah, takes a real pounding. And then we get the whole, I should not exist. I was an accident. And then mm. she's like, please let the doctor help you. You are hurting me. It's very sad. And there's, you know what, another yeah. scene before that that ties into this scene, which is when um, one goes to meet the doctor for the first time. And the doctor's like, I want to hear my origins. And the doctor, or one is like, yes. I want to hear my origins. And the doctor's like, another time. And he's like, I want to hear it now. And he's like, yes. Well, <laughs> so what happened was, and he tells the story. And then one is like, I was an accident. And the doctor's like, no, just call it like a random convergence of technologies. And then one says, am I unwelcome here? What I love about that, which is very data-like as well, is that really high EQ that kids have, right? There's this just like honest sincerity to that question of like, you don't like me? Which is exactly what kids can pick up even if they can't articulate. But I love that the drone articulates that, oh, am I not welcome here? 
Cause I just, I just want to know, you know, there's no, no, no skin off my nose. I just need to know what's going on. And when the doctor stopped, sat down his tricorder and looked him in the eye and was like, on the contrary, we are always searching out new life. We are glad you are here. You were going to be a part of this crew. Like just really reassures him that he's not unwanted just because he was a surprise. I thought that was really sweet and blends in perfectly to this last scene where now he's dying and seven is saying, but you're unique. And he's like, I was just a random convergence of technologies. I was never meant to be, I was never meant to exist. Mm. And it's just like, ugh. And he sacrifices himself again, if you're just following us and not watching because he knows the Borg are aware of me now, they know that I can kick their ass. And so they're going to keep coming after us. So I'm already dying and we should just let this play out. I'm not supposed to be here anyway. And all of his logic aside, it doesn't matter. You want them to save him in that moment. It's very sad. Even as a teenager, I was like, oh, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's gotta be another way. But yeah, yeah he was he way. was a very very successful Borg. He is so Hugh like, you know what I mean? From callback to TNG's iBorg, where they have successfully sort of broken the pattern of control that the Borg have over the drones, and he's now an individual and he's learning and growing, and more importantly, he's learning to value his peers around him as like mentors and friends. So what mm-hmm. he does to save the ship he does for them not for him and you know he knows the risks and he does it anyway and the borg are like welcome you know we we want to we want to take your future technology and assimilate it into all of us and he's like uh fat chance of that happening and like boom death right to the borg so it is it is such a lovely i will say his death is beautiful which is not a word I use often because he went into it willingly and he used his like super blocky shield technology to stop the dock from operating and saving his life, which would have been a slim chance anyway, but he was like, no, I'm not letting you do this. Just let me die. So it was a death with purpose, which I think Tasha Yar would have killed for, right? She got killed by (laughs) freaking wind by Armas. So it's like, yeah, she, she died with some raspberry jam on her face and we called that a death. Right. And it was just so pointless. And I do love that in yesterday's enterprise, they kind of give her like a, a chance to make her death meaningful, which is pretty cool. But yeah, one, so sad, but it was beautifully, beautifully done. Like it was a true warrior's death. And the part where he says, where he's like, you know, where she's like, you're hurting me. That's what made him stop before his concern mm-hmm. for her emotions or yep. feelings or whatever. And then for him to just be like, you'll adapt. It's like, he's even matured in that sense. Yeah. Where he's I know I'm hurting you. Well. And unfortunately I have to hurt you to save you Yeah, by hurting yeah. myself. Unbelievable performance from Jerry Ryan, because that you're hurting <sighs> me. You feel that <sighs> pain that loss pain and then the the previous you're hurting me of like she's kind of scared it's just it's a great performance same line two different emotions right like two different yeah i mean brandon braga's kind of right even though he's complete very heavily biased but he's kind of right that <laughs> she's pretty she's flawless perfect in this episode i kind of think that's at least by she the really end it kind of brings it home this really is the best of seven. I do have a great scene that's before this. It's one, it's a very, very short scene, but when one and seven are in the regeneration alcoves and oh, one is still, you. you know, he's, yes, he's, he is still an infant in a man's body, right? So he doesn't even know how to get into the alcove, right? So it's like lightly comedic, but just like kind of a sweet moment where he goes in face in and she says, 
you have to face out. So he's like, oh, okay. So they start their regeneration and he says, Seven, thank you. And the look on Seven's face was like, you're not really his mentor at this point. You're like his mother. It was just Mm -hmm. so heartbreakingly beautiful. So heartbreakingly beautiful. And then obviously you're hurting me. You will adapt when he dies. It's like, Jesus. And for her to have to return back to the alcove, which there are two of, and she has to return to it alone. It's like, oh. And turns just, it off his. Yeah, that's. Yeah, just absolutely tears I didn't, my heart out. So the, I was very curious to know what you would what you were going to say about the bookends, because I I have a very strong reason why I don't think the bookends actually work. So the episode begins. The first shot is seven of nine practicing her smile in the mirror, which we've all done yeah. before. Right. Yes, so, yeah, totally. uh, yeah, we all want to know how we look to other people. And then the doctor barges in unannounced. He's like, how are we feeling this morning? And she's like, annoyed. But no, I, so you said Neelix and I'm like, yeah, I don't like Neelix a lot. And that's, there's a lot of reasons why it's very much less the performance uh, than it is just how Neelix is written. But Robert Picardo, who I think is doing a great job. He's doing exactly what's being asked of him. What a fucking obnoxious character. He is. He irritates the shit out of me. The doctor always irritates the shit out of me. And I know people are like, but that's how he's written. But that's how he's programming. Well, that's what he's I'm saying. Like, Cable, Jane, the, your two best characters before Seven of Nine being Janeway and the most obnoxious person on the ship. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The show was in trouble before Seven of Nine. I think Robert Picardo's performance is always genius. Like he he embodies the doctor. I think the doctor was written, he's super annoying in this episode, but he was actually written in the first few seasons as completely insufferable. Yeah, he's and like then, a toothache. He's a walking yeah. toothache. And then yeah, he became he, just super, like exactly. a like a, an, an annoying moth. Right. <laughs> he, he, they totally, yeah. His character, his character, I'm sorry. An annoying moth. <laughs> yeah. He's going to say a butterfly because he's always kind of cheery while he does it, but I'm like, yeah. nah. He's kind of like a mosquito. I just want to smack him away. Like, go away. Yeah. So I will say, to your point of, like, the bookends, the one thing about this episode that I don't like, because, I, I, again, I really like this episode, I don't like the beginning with her smiling because I don't think it makes any sense. Like, I don't understand that's what, it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It There's no... That, anything. And... The ending yeah. shot of her looking back in the mirror, but frowning or being sad is not also a bookend. No, the, if I the thing was, walk, I think her stumbling out of sick bay was powerful. Like that, yes, yes, that was so like that was mo- like when she's like doesn't even know that she doesn't realize she's hitting these beds and stuff. It's like that was really powerful. Like that grief of like I don't even know where I am or what's going on. And when the doctor's like seven, and she she's like what, huh? like she doesn't even understand. Yeah. That was great. And I think if they started the episode with her walking in the hallway and the doctor saying, Hey, are we ready for that trip? I got my camera ready. Would be perfect. And if they ended with her stumbling out would probably be fine. It's just, it doesn't, they don't make it fit. You know what I mean? Like if he comes in, if he comes in and he's like, ah, practicing our smiles again, I see, you know what I mean? Like, and he's, he's like, well, you'll have plenty of time to practice your smiles on the shuttle. I'm going to take so many pictures of us in the nebula or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and just make it make sense. And she's like, I'm only practicing because I, you know, you said frowning is bad or something. And Mm -hmm. he's like, well, you should smile when you're really happy. But instead we get all this jargony. It's the problem with Voyager there. It's every, almost every line of dialogue is too jargony and too on plot it's not about anything other than what it's about but thank you okay this is you have really just 
put the finger on the pulse of why Voyager isn't my favorite for exactly that reason. The writing still feels clunky in a lot of ways. There's no slice of life kind of like talking. It's really only just like plot driven centered in that sense. And yeah, there are things like that where it's like the smiling part. The only thing that stuck out to me really in that was like one, how absolutely freaking gorgeous Jerry Taylor looks when she smiles. It's like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. Jer- Jerry but, Ryan. Jerry Taylor is the, is the writer. Thank you. So, no, Thank you. Sorry. I mean, Jerry Taylor is Sorry. a beautiful woman uh, when she was the same age, but. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Jerry Ryan. My bad. Um, I'm getting my Jerry's mixed up. But I know what so it really many Jerry's. Yeah. Yeah. What it really drives home for me is that the doctor yet again knows no effing boundaries where it's like, you're just going to barge in on her when she's having private time in her little alcove. Okay. All right. So, yeah. I did think it was kind of cute as much as I think, you know, the doctor is such a effing annoying character and i'm like i'd rather just i'd rather just be sick <laughs> and synthesize <laughs> something in my quarters it's fine i don't need to see him i did think it was really cute that he brought this like 24th century camera with him on the shuttle which is like this giant clunky version of like a polaroid kind of which i think is hilarious because you know we take pictures on our phones now which is like smaller and it takes better photos but i did think it was cute that he was like everybody bunch together and smile and she's like i'm working yeah. <laughs> it's like all right I- yeah perfect well it makes sense to me you gotta have bigger cameras because you're trying to you're making something that's gonna then work on the holodeck so it's gonna yeah. capture yeah, all, all these different aspects of the, of the thing yeah but his camera is actually really cool it does capture like thermal heat signatures it captures like a whole bunch of that it is does, cool. like 3d imaging from the inside yeah. out when it takes a picture it's it's a really cool camera that is really neat that's a lot of time on the great scenes and even though we're ending on a bit of a sour note there was a nice number of scenes especially once you get about 15 20 minutes in best trek tropes you know what uh andrea why don't you go first i do think that the best trek trope in the entire episode is janeway being very thoughtful and deliberate in her decision not to terminate the borg she's like let's hew this puppy and see what happens and I'm really glad that her gamble paid off because it is a big risk. You're inviting a freaking 29th century Borg aboard your ship, which is already lost in space, right? Like you're so far from home. There is no backup that is coming to help you. If you guys really, if this turns out badly, but I love how thoughtful she was and how deliberate she was and how she didn't just jump to, cause you know, Janeway will jump to be like a uh, computer auto destruct Janeway alpha <laughs> pie, whatever. Right. She's so quick to land on that. So for her, I drone like drink have- my coffee, self-destruct yeah. mode. It's the only <laughs> solution. Yes. <laughs> Koji's like, but my people have a saying, don't yeah. blow up the ship for the coffee, you know? Yeah. But it's I I do like that she's not quick to violence all the time. Um, and that she's she really, really has a huge amount of faith in Seven of Nine to be a good mentor and like get the Borg on their side. Cherise? Well, I had two. Um, the first was you have as many as you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> the first was the classic transporter accident. Like yeah. that is a great truck trope. Yeah, We've seen it a totally. million times, and we can see it a million and one because there's always something different. And this time, the twist is that in the past, a lot of the transporter accidents have affected the people transporting in them. This yeah. time, and maybe tra- you know, transform them into kids or plants or giant worms or who knows what. This time. The transporter created a whole new being. And I thought that was a really cool twist. Out of two technologies. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. That's great. Of all things, right? I mm-hmm. thought that was a really cool twist to like classic transporter accident. The second trope that just made me laugh. So I don't know if this is best or worst, but it was the it was a scene where Neelix is walking through the hall 
with one and one is kind of like, oh, titanium whole plating and like plasma based, whatever, and, and stuff like that. And Neelix is like, oh man, you're doing a great job. I think you, systems analysis is really your thing. And when the camera moves to see the two of them walking side by side, there are exactly two guards walking behind them who we've already established can do nothing because Tuvok mm-hmm. tried to shoot this guy yesterday. And it didn't work. So I thought the Trek trope of having two useless guards at any extremely dangerous situation <laughs> right. was Amazing. also really great. Fantastic. Yep. The entire crew being excited over a new discovery, this nebula formation. And as, as you both mentioned, multiple times, other characters, the Dr. Neelix, we are explorers. Even Seven of Nine, she's accepted as part of the ship's mission. So I think just the the fascination with something new to learn from and study and examine and, you know, make a part of your life or whatever, catalog it, however you want to phrase it. I, I think that's always a, a really solid Trek trope to be on there. So mm-hmm. um, worst Trek tropes, a shuttle accident. How many, ah. how many annoying shuttle accidents? <laughs> it's like, what do you think's going to happen <laughs> when you fly these shuttles towards amazing stellar phenomena? I get you don't do that with the ship. That makes a lot of sense. But what did you think was going to happen? Did you need to put that many people on board it? And have we you run know? out of probes? Is right. that what's how going about, on? How about you autopilot it from the safety of the ship? Why do you- we have like the probes are literally designed for this purpose. Seriously, to yeah. gather data from dangerous situations unmanned. <laughs> like we could just send a couple of those. And then the other one I had was calling out shield percentages when the Borg are attacking. There's a something explodes and Harry goes shields down to twenty nine percent. I don't know what that means. I mean, I get the okay. le- the number the number goes down. That's bad. I get it, but number goes down. It's bad. It adds to the tension. So there is this Star Trek game that I can play on my virtual reality headset. And as you are playing, there's kind of a couple modes you can play in. One mode, you fight the Borg. Um, One mode, you fight Klingons. But anyways, when you're fighting them and they're like blasting your ship to bits, you really see your like engines, warp drive, all that stuff go like, and it's like Mm -hmm. just as freaky in the game as it is in the show. Because like, for example, you can, when they're attacking you, you can like go to another star system and escape. But there's a little, as soon as you escape, there's a little timer on the bottom that tells you how many minutes, like three minutes and 10 seconds before they find you. So it's like, okay, that's your time to make repairs or figure out a plan. And so um, like there's times on the game where I'm like, and, and to get away with like warp or whatever, you actually have to like bring the systems up. And you're like, oh my gosh. So you see them like charging while you're being fired at. And you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then it just goes, and you're like, oh, and then the ship explodes. So whatever they're like shields down to 29% on the show, yeah. it's just kind of like, okay, well, you know, they're getting towards, they're getting towards the danger zone. But when it says that in the game, you're like, oh man, because that's right <laughs> before your ship explodes in space. Game over. One of the things I put was when they said link the Borg data nodes to the data port. That line has always irritated me from the first time I saw this episode, because I feel like they have so many cool... Like, I know you don't like the techno babble, but I think it's, I think it's very cool and believable. A lot of times they say these things and you're like, yep, that sounds like a thing. But data node to data port just felt lazy. Oh, I'm with you. That was the one line I I was like, that's why I'm like, this show's too jargony. Like, it's always been weird. That's what it is. Well, how about this? Bad techno babble. Because I think it's like, they need to fill a certain number. They need to fill a certain number of pages and they know what these scenes are about. Like, yeah, I think you're right. About with Torres and Neelix, it's a dumb, it's a nothing scene. So they just need to like flesh it out and ha- make it have a beginning, middle and end with a little bit of conflict. 
which they usually just weave in as like someone's doing something. And while they're doing something, someone's talking about something else. And it's the tension Mm. of the thing that needs to be done with the thing someone's saying. And that's it. Mm. And that's and it's like a math problem. And it's usually very inelegant, at least on Mm. Voyager. This is one of those moments. Uh, Andrea, any worst Trek tropes that you have? Yeah, I mean, my worst Trek trope. I gotta be honest, is the one that Sharice like love that was like the doc's ability to just privately be a peeping Tom against people's <laughs> will. Like I freaking hated that. And I'm, you and don't I'm actually like, like the chief medical officer having such yeah, broad like, well, I'm a doctor. access. Yeah. I'm a doctor. I can see your naked body whenever. Uh, no, you can't. No, you cannot. Right. Like you might have seen my naked body for medical reasons, but that doesn't mean you can like cavalierly and flippantly just like completely steam like, what is it like railroad over my privacy? Okay. I get, he is really anxious about his hollow emitter working because you can't replicate a new one. It's 29th century technology, but priorities dude, like, come on, man. Like you can't just be busting into someone's shower to be like, is it ready yet? Is it, is it, is it, is it? I'm like, dude, what? He could have asked the computer. He said, he could have said computer. There's a device being examined in the Mm -hmm. science lab. What is the top line or something? What's the status? Yeah, what's the status? Yeah, what's the status on that? Yeah. Um, So that one just, I, I absolutely hate the, just the lack of boundaries that the doctor has how strident he is he barged in on seven of nine unannounced he barges in on yeah and like has no one been like doc stop doing that or we're gonna deprogram you or whatever like stop doing that just stop it it's not that hard not to do next time i see you i'm gonna carry a magnet yeah exactly yeah That's, okay, you sound so petty. I'm really on board for all of this, by the way. He's one of I the want... pettiest characters ever in Star Trek history. I, I'm sorry, sorry, I think the doctor sucks. I think he sucks. Like, he's not that great. I really although I will say Robert Picardo as an actor does a great job. I that's I the love point. He's so he is really good. So it's really hard to say to the, like I hate the doctor it's like no he's yeah. not trying to make me hate the doctor it's just like no. he's playing the optimized version of what was written he's making exactly he did a, he did a spectacular job yeah. at his job as an actor but the doctor was just written like such an asshole that I'm like D- forget it like n- I don't want to interact with you I will say I do love Robert Picardo um, I love to bake and I have sourdough starter so I've had a few and sourdough starter people are nerds um, which I proudly claim, and we name our starter. So I had one starter whose name was Will Wheaton because it was a wheat starter, mm. or it was like a whole wheat starter. And then I had another, like an all-purpose flour one that was called Robert Picardo. <laughs> so okay. I always like enjoyed. I always enjoyed making like my different doughs. Where I'm like, gotta feed Will Wheaton, gotta feed Robert <laughs> Picardo. I did have one at one point, which before the Russia-Ukraine conflict, it was named um, Vladimir Gluten. And then I was like, mm. yeah, I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta get rid of that one. <laughs> So, yeah, but I kept the Star Trek references ones. I still have those. Robert Picardo is alive and well. Most of its time quality. I think the VFX in this one, very, I guess I was going to say cartoonish, but I guess I mean animated, like very drawn in. My original notes are put, not the space shots, just like all the interior stuff. The tubules, yeah, the babies for sure. The tubules look very drawn on, like when they come out of the emitter. Yeah. On your non-HD TVs, it looked great yes, for that time. Yes, it looked period. amazing. I will say because CGI advances so quickly, it was leaps and bounds above 
like where TNG was at, at you mm-hmm. know, when it when it was being made. But I will say there's something so striking about the difference of like VFX between TNG and Voyager. And I got to say, I still side with like the TNG's special effects for the most part. There are some that are so bad that we talk about a bunch on the on our sure. podcast. But but like those tubules coming out of the hollow emitter at first, I was like, wow, that was 1999 all the way. Yep. <laughs> it was such TV, yeah, TV budget, TV schedule for sure. But it looked again, yeah. looked for the time, looked great. Also, the uh, Voyager and the shuttle pod. And those are CG models. Those are not uh, like TNG, those are not like. Oh, they shots weren't practical my- effects. They weren't no, made. They had void. They have Voyager stock shots that they use, but not in. By this point in the run of Voyager, it was almost a completely CGI model for most of its shots, and definitely the shuttle was. And I guess initially I was like, oh, it doesn't bother me too much. But again, watching the ep- rewatching the episode many times, I'm like, you can tell it's just kind of of the of the same uh, ilk as the other uh, other ones. But it's not bad. I remember as a kid being like, this looks really cool. Actually, the the blue lighting on one even though that's not a vfx but like instead of yeah. green you know what i mean like all mm-hmm. these little things these little touches the board cube getting crushed that, that doesn't look particularly good the, the costume's great amazing yeah. no, the, and that was one of the things in tng like in the first few seasons those costumes all looked great on tv in the 90s but now in like ultra 4k hd blah 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 it looks yeah. awful because you can see the prosthetics. You can see where they were glued in. You can see the makeup. You can see totally. every pore on every actor's skin. And so some of the makeup jobs from the beginning seasons are not that Don't look like they didn't hold up. But in the later seasons, they look amazing. And this and one, I ones kept, looks great. Yeah. Ones look so good. I kept like when he turned around, I kept thinking that the back of his neck, because you need to have joints and stuff where actual, you know, human joints are so that these kind of these molds and casts can move. So I thought the joint that met his neck was going to look really like painted on or glued mm. on or stuck on. And I was waiting for it to bend at a really weird angle when he turned his head and it didn't, it was like perfect. And I was like, wow, this is impressive. I know we're talking about like worst or very, very of its time. But no, that, just have a time doesn't have to be bad. It can be oh, okay. Good. Yeah. That yeah. was a, that was really, really good. And I was, I was looking hard too. Cause I was like, let me see now with this higher definition, let's see. And you can see all the like blue purple veins painted underneath the skin. Yeah. It was just amazing. So there's a lot of craft that goes into all of the stuff that, you know, people it's easy to overlook. Cause you just watch it week after week after week. Nobody sets out to make a bad thing. The people that do this stuff they could be tired but also this was like the beginning of the season so like everyone's had a bit of a hiatus they're like rested up so you're getting some really good stuff there uh i like that bit about the headpiece because i thought the same thing you can tell it's like a spoon that's like shooting up the back of his neck and his head Mm -hmm. just kind of it's not really attached to the back of his head it kind of is but it doesn't really turn with him but it looks, it still all works. It looks great. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks very futuristic as it's supposed to. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. Um, any other most of its time quality? One of the aspect? things that I saw that was most of its time, I thought was Bellana's little bob and Janeway's little bob. And very I Very really, much. I really love Janeway's little bob over the crazy space pumpkin that she had in season one for her hairstyle. <laughs> I mean, it was futuristic, but man, was it not cute. So I went I from really... wig to her natural hair. I'm pretty sure that was her natural hair for what we're seeing in drone, but that was oh, definitely a wig. It looks, in it looks yeah. good. It yeah. looks good. And seven of nine's hair is very futuristic as well. It's mostly just pulled back from her face. So from the front, it looks simple, but in the back, it's actually a really complex kind of inverted French ponytail type deal. It's really cute and really futuristic and also really technical, which makes sense. 
Um, but I love that they just went simple with Janeway after that crazy nonsense bird's nest hairstyle that they were just like, you know what? Let's just leave it around the ears. <laughs> Call it a day. I'm going to tell you something my friend said. Like They brought Seven of Nine onto the show and they gave Captain Janeway a Karen haircut. And I was like, that is they the really did. <laughs> so they really, really did give her a Karen. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. I still think it was an improvement. And I think it, I think it's very nineties. Um, so it wasn't futuristic, but I remember even watching the show as a kid being like, Oh good. Let's just do that. Let's do simple. Mm-hmm. Cause I know with Troy with counselor Troy and TNG, they kept trying to do different futuristic things with her hair. Sometimes it worked and sometimes it was horrible. And mm-hmm. so I just was kind of relieved by the simplicity of this 90s hairstyle. Any other, Andrea, were you going to say one? Yeah. Um, you know what I did was very of its time for me, at least. And this is something I appreciate. I don't look back on this like laughingly. I'm like, oh, um, it's that we still have spaceships with carpet. <laughs> in the hallways because yes. it was it was like after this time that like carpet kind of went away and it became much much more sterile and it's something about just adding that little touch of softness that makes it a more like livable space for me because remember this is their home as well as their workplace and if you're working in a lab that's all cold steel and metal and you're basically in a board cube there is nothing cozy about that at all and like i do love uh, i do love this federation spaceship that has some carpet on it so it brings a lot of warmth and I, and I, and I really love it. And I do miss it. Cause you know, in a, in a bunch of like the newer star Treks, the bridges do look very, very cool. Right. Like set mm-hmm. design has continued to just excel and excel and excel. Right. But let's bring back a little carpet. Let's bring back like a little sitting area with a plant. You know, I'm just saying like, we also have to live here in addition to work here. Can we bring that back please? I think it's a great I point. I really do love that. <laughs> As long as we have a painting of space, I think we're good. That's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> oh, so, you know, you, you made me think about this and you were saying this during the bit with the doctor intruding on everybody. I do have this. This is not like a point in the doctor's favor, but it is to the idea of like, you're trapped on this ship. You need to be on this ship. There's no yep. off ramp. You're trying to get home. How at some point, this is like a weird community between all of them, right? Because the, the resources, yeah. there's rationing. I'm not saying like that means it starts it's to feel a, a little it, incestuous in a way where you're like, mm, everybody has slept with everybody at this point. Yeah. I'm not saying it's an invitation for boundaries to be crossed. I I'm a, I'm on your side with the doctor thing, but I do wonder, like, he's like, it's nothing I haven't seen before. Is that because like, just for fun, they like do a naked run through the corridors. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, who cares at this point? Who gives a f- like we're trapped yeah. here. Where are we going to go? So- oh, the naked yeah, gosh, run I'm through like, the ship. Annual run. <laughs> It's I think it's hilarious that you say that because so much of original Star Trek, like the original series was pulled from like Gene Roddenberry was obviously a big fan of like ancient Rome. Okay. Like, you know, James Tiberius Kirk, like Tiber was the the river that ran through Rome and still does. Right. Like we have Romulus and we've got Vulcan, all this stuff. Right. So there's a lot of like history, but like I was actually teaching my students about this because we're doing space as a module right now. And we were learning about like the naming of the planets and that they're all named by Roman gods and how Saturnus was like basically like the party god and like the saturnalia was this like giant rager of a party in ancient rome where men would run naked through the streets and women would like hit them with willow branches to try to like it symbolize like fertility in some way so it's like if you're trying to have a baby then you would like make sure you like smack the naked men as they run past with these like branches and so <laughs> i that 
to me just conjures a picture of like they're just doing a Saturnalia and like running through the corridors all naked. Yeah, the yeah, doctor's like, yeah, I've seen this write. before. <laughs> I'm so glad he didn't. God, you know, I will say we owe Gene Roddenberry so much, but oh my God, he was such a perv. Like oh, yeah. enough already. Yeah. Just enough with all that. So yeah, really glad that didn't happen on the show. I would have been like, I'm out. I'm so out. <laughs> now it's time for the line must be drawn. Yeah. Great lines. <laughs> all right. I dare either of you to top this line, which is one of the best lines in the entire series. Mm. One asks if she would rejoin the Borg collective and she looks at him and says, Voyager is my collective. Oh, so You're good. It's so I don't, good. I don't think I can top that. I mean, obviously, I feel like you're hurting me when mm-hmm. he's dying is the line. But on a lighter note, the doctor is he's nothing if not consistent. So when he learns that there's a Borg presence in the science lab early in the episode, he goes, the science lab. My mobile emitter is in there. My like, mobile emitter is in there. What about I me? I love his priorities. I love his priorities. Why aren't we talking about me? Yeah. Oh, so that, you know, Crack, that reminds yeah. me, that scene he has with one, the reason why I didn't put it as a great scene is I think it was missing that little payoff. Or does he say, maybe I'm forgetting, does he say I'm like, not honored, but it's like, now I'm a part of you and I'm I'm glad it's with you or something like, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't seem like they closed the, the loop on, tied that, line off because the last bit of his yeah of the, his concern is like but my emitters in there and then it just gets dropped so <laughs> it's selfish. So he's he's just a selfish asshole yeah exactly yeah did All he right, ever that, get his emitter back though because when they, just died, assume, he, get it yeah, back, he, he got it back, back. Yeah. that's right when the drum dies he can he can extract it from the drums that's right system. yeah okay one of my favorite lines was the you will adapt i thought that that line yeah. was wonderful and then the other line where he said we are borg well not exactly so that, <laughs> that was one of my favorites. Like, I love that line. <laughs> the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. Uh, Sharice, I'm going to give you the floor. I, I hope you picked the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can guarantee you that I did because it's mine. Um, the answer I picked. <laughs> perfect answer. Mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> chef's kiss. Perfection. Yes. I I picked the last, the final scene with Seven in sick bay when the drone dies and she just stumbles away in shock. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. And Andrea, again, we had, we were talking about this literally yesterday about how TNG did not deal with with grief well at all. Yes. yes. Um, and I feel like that scene to me was so was the most powerful scene in the episode of her just you see the lot like the look in her eyes the fact that she's lost the way that mm-hmm. she's stumbling all of that i thought was the best performance in the episode i i mean top to bottom almost yeah. basically every scene she's in she's doing something with her micro expressions her mm-hmm. nuance not just very. in movement but in voice she's excuse me she's also very beautiful just when she turns and looks at him very lovingly in the turbo lift like mm-hmm. she's a striking woman but it's also like the the part I appreciated this episode is it's very easy to be like she's got her she's the mother now I don't feel like they yeah. hit that as hard it's like it's in the middle she's like a mentor just as much as she could yes. be she's mothering him yeah. in some way but she's really I feel just like trying she's to help mother him out extremely technically I think that um, Lieutenant Mulcahy yes. is more of a father than Seven is a mother. But he's completely absent <laughs> as soon as he helps get it born. Yes, it's completely no. Well, that's a good point. But more in the sense that like his DNA was actually a part of this drone. So if we're talking about this is his mother just because she's the Borg who like 
contributed nanoprobes. Those are her like, nanoprobes, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is not a mother-son relationship. This is very much to me a mentor-mentee relationship. And it's very beautiful. But yeah, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like mom. I think that was a weird word they kept throwing around. Her nanoprobe swatted with Reed's uh, Ensign Mulcahy as he ran by. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> See, I did I did think she had some motherly moments. Like when he said, Seven, thank you. And she looks at him with such tenderness that's like, this is more than a mentor, mentee relationship, but not quite like a mother son. Yeah, but there there were like motherly sort of instincts that she had to like protect him and save him and more than just like a crew member or like a, a science project, you know, that he ended up being, I would say my vote as well is for Jerry Ryan. She absolutely crushed it, but honorable mention for sure to J Paul Bomer who played one who oh. was the drone because Holy moly, was he not so heartbreaking in that last scene and the way that he just without a second thought sacrificed himself to save the entire crew that like, he's only met, he's only known for like what, two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that one was well that, he's that downloaded was, was every bit of information on the yeah. ship about every single aspect yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, for me because obviously it's jerry ryan uh the shatner is j paul bomer because he really mm-hmm. has to go for it he does so the shatner mm-hmm. doesn't have to be like the it's not like an overacting award it's more just like someone who really went for it and you could perceive that as it's like it's too much or you could perceive mm. it as like, wow, they did not take a moment, didn't take a scene or a line off. And mm-hmm. sort of his dictation, the way he speaks, his his movements, uh, the little spin he puts on his dialogue, seven of nine. Like he goes, they will fail. Yes. Like it's very Shakespearean in a way, but also it's yeah. fitting. He's trying to fit in the world. This is also his first on-screen job. Like this Holy is like moly. off wow. the mat. He's in front of the camera. He's wearing this makeup wow. and he's doing all this. He's, he's the co-lead of the episode basically. Uh, so I gave him the Shatner though. He really went for it. And I think he mm. really, cause you can't honorable mention him with Jerry Ryan. She's too good. She's she too, is good. too good. She really is. <laughs> so she I, is so I, but, yeah. but I will say his, on the Shatner. Scene, his, <laughs> his so deathbed good. scene though. Yeah. Has there ever been a more perfectly heart-wrenching death scene in Trek? Like in my, yeah. to my knowledge, and I haven't seen all of the Treks and like I well, have fuck. forgotten most of DS9. So if you're a DS9 person and there's like a more moving death scene, please don't, you know, break me over the coals for it. But this, I mean, just the way that he was allowing himself to die against everybody else's opinion you know and like their desperation to save him and how he just like let it happen and still showed love for seven i was like good lord like he just tore me up like he really did and i like the way he was kind of like gasping and kind of like stuttering in his speech and it really sounded like he was suffering when he was like but it wasn't like super yeah it was just right like it wasn't Mm -hmm. super hammy it was just gut wrenching it was perfectly done it's like yeah that's how much because he's in pain but he's also borg yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. You really have to go for it if you're being a Borg. Like mm-hmm. Jerry Ryan is constantly going for it, be talking like this. You know what I mean? Like she's constantly yeah. trying to be a Borg, but then she has to let a vulnerability escape. Here he has to be a drone that's basically learning how to do that. That physical transformation on his face when he's processing, assimilating the data node. 
that to mm-hmm. me was like that was a trick i'm like whoa you are not a drone anymore you're a person how is <laughs> yeah, he doing that with just this boy. face it was amazing totally and totally. even the moment of sensitivity when the first time she says you are hurting me i'm like oh i believe it she said she had a great time performing with him jerry ryan did Again, his first his first uh, on screen job, great job. But I'm just giving it the Shatner only because it's like he had he really had to go for it, and I, I think you nailed it. Um, how many takes are you getting when you're wearing that much makeup? Right, they're shooting oh this gosh. show fast. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I do have two honorable mentions, and they are not as they are not flattering. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> give the honorable mention soft one after we learn that the sphere has been destroyed in the nebula, and the red alert ends. And everyone kind of just like, oh, that's over. And then the camera lingers on seven of nine being like, oh, my God, someone I love just died. And, but mm-hmm. Janeway and, and Chakotay are like, well, that was good. Let's go get some yeah, food. If you need me, I'll be on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. So seven of nine's the in F? shock. The, the third time I watched this, I was totally distracted by the extra behind her who's just constantly pressing buttons and he's not even pressing the right buttons. He's pressing the diagram of Voyager behind her. It doesn't do anything. Doesn't do shit, dude. But you're, you're like, just being like, I'm on the bridge. Oh, I gotta, I gotta look like I'm doing something. I'm an, I'm a nondescript supernumerary. I'm not just do doing think, stuff. Do you think they CGI the panel contents after the show's shot? It depends or on the show. I think on, I think there. it, I think in early Voyager, they would use, they had monitor cutaways that they could put in there. And I think in other times they just put little graphics. I think in Next Generation, when they would show like red alarms, there wouldn't be any detail, just be a red light. But for the most part, no, it's like either a screen, like an actual TV monitor that's put into the wall to create it, or uh, they will CGI overlay. But so you meaning don't press like, did it. This person, did this person see that that was a picture of the ship they were pressing? Or was it a black... Like oh, wall. it's a no, 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 no. That's part of the bridge design. That's in the ship. It's oh, it's okay. there. It's like a so sticker. It it's like a, or it's oh, like that, a graphic that's, that's there, and he's just pressing it. It's like, oh. <laughs> and then the other honorable mention. Let's bring it all the way back. Kate Mulgrew. I'm giving a Shatner honorable mention. We loved her performance in that scene with Jerry Ryan when they're like, "What if we didn't kill this board? What if we tried yeah. to run it?" But there's a part where she comes around the table and she goes, "As I recall, seven. There were a few crew members who had similar doubts about you. And I grew up with a lot of Irish women in my life, which Kate Mulgrew very proudly and loudly is. Mm. And when she says that line, she tilts her head and there was a very familiar flash, flash of rage in her eyes that she, as she stepped towards Jerry Ryan, that felt very, very familiar. And after everything we've been saying about their relationship, she gets the line, there were a few crew members who didn't like you. Yeah. <laughs> Who thought you were hey. dangerous and hated you? Uh, I'm not going to name any names or point any fingers, though. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to say that it's an honorable mention to Kate Mulgrew for being a going for it on the being a professional, even though she was a terrible person, not professional off the screen. In that one moment, though, you could see that she was channeling her rage. <laughs> Yeah, into being into being like i'm gonna be the captain yeah do you need to become method she's like no i've already got this locked in don't worry like okay it just felt very familiar do you imagine before filming that scene she was like cracking her knuckles with delight like she was like bring it on like i really do wonder what her process is she has what was so funny about watching orange is the new black watching kate mulgrew as red was like she's doing janeway but with 
a, a Russian accent. <laughs> Where, like, uh, oh. it was so funny. Like her hand manner, like all of her mannerisms, like her hand on her hip and then waving one, like her one hand while the other was on the hip. I'm like, that's Janeway. She's like, it's just very funny to me. So she has a very specific performance style. She's a fantastic television actor. And that's not like damning with faint praise. The idea that you have to shoot so many pages over so many weeks and you have to be the lead. You have to be on every time because you are number one, like all the stuff she was saying in that Shatner interview is like, mm-hmm. if you are the star of a network television show, at least specifically the time that she was, and you know, she was Mrs. Columbo. She got thrust in the spotlight at a young time. Like, so she's been number one and had it all fall apart around her. She yeah. knows like you have to be, you can't take a second off. It's all yeah. on you. And even when yeah. you think it's not, it is because everyone is always counting on you. You could bring yeah. in a guest star and that guest star could suck one of your co-stars. Well, they're not number one. So if they biff it, yeah. it's it's they're going to get more upset at them, fa- at me failing than if like Robert Beltran, who is not a good actor, if he blows it. You know what I mean? Like, because they already mm-hmm. know he sucks, but they expect nothing but perfection <laughs> from her. So it's like that, all that, but uh, there was just something about him like that looked like one of my aunts after a few drinks. There's just that little, <laughs> little flash of rage in her eyes that I caught. So I had to call it out. I had a flashback to Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. That's hilarious. Uh, what part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy? Oh, I got this one. I think okay. they will absolutely teach the whole concept of infiltrating a Borg ship to take it down from the inside, because that, if nothing else, is the Voyager crew specialty. (laughs) That's right. I agree. I think this story will be a part of a larger discussion, a seminar, I don't know, a special course about Borg culture or like hive mind technology, because it's one of many stories I already mentioned, Hugh, but like also what Lore was able to do with the fractured Mm -hmm. Borg that got disconnected. From the from them, so it's like I think it's how it's possible to remake individuals, reprogram whatever, and like technology, the limits of technology and and personhood and all that stuff. I think it'll be part of like some sort of philosophical thing, but also engineering wise, they're definitely taking a look at how nanoprobes work, the Borg ones, and how they mm-hmm. evolve 29th century components. I do wonder how much studying the mobile emitter violates the temporal temporal Mm. prime directive though. Mm -hmm. It's like a weird glimpse into the future and it creates like this weird paradox of like, well, Mm -hmm. if you know how it works, then how do you develop the specialty to make it work? I guess it's like Star Trek four with the aluminum. It's like, well, how do we know the guy we're giving the formula for transparent aluminum to didn't invent transparent aluminum. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm with you guys on this one as for like what part of this will they teach like very much I think Temporal Prime Directive and all be damned though because as we know Starfleet only acknowledges the Prime Directive when it's convenient for them otherwise it's just the Prime Suggestion but (laughs) you know learning about how the Borg have developed to the point where they can create new Borg life given a tissue sample. So instead of just assimilating it's reproduction like this is this is something y'all should probably know about because Mm -hmm you probably should be on the lookout for board babies, you know, because they're super dangerous. They're super dangerous. I mean, this they're never going to find a board baby. It only takes 24 hours for the board baby to be a Borg middle-aged person. That's so. true. That's true. Yeah. You're on a very, very tight window if you find a board baby. But at that point, it's like, do you kill it? Do you let it live and try to make it into like, something friends? like one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I feel like there needs to be a whole seminar on like, 
this whole Borg jump in their in their technology. Well, especially now because the Borg are aware that one has lived, you know? So now it's like they're it's like when Q snaps Picard and company to the Borg and they weren't supposed to meet the Borg for like hundreds of years, but now that the Borg know they exist, it's like we're coming for you. So now that the Borg know that this highly specialized and advanced model exists, they are doubling and tripling and quadrupling their efforts to get there faster if that makes yeah, sense. yeah i don't now that you're saying it i'm like the sacrifice makes some sense but not total sense because if yeah. the borg were simply curious to know what one was they would know well voyager knows where he came from so we need yeah. to assimilate voyager to find out more information about this one character yeah yeah that's an interesting point uh well i guess i just invalidated this whole episode no i'm just kidding it was still a noble <laughs> sacrifice so in the past we've asked uh at this part like how would the predecessor captain have dealt with it the predecessor captain or show was captain cisco and i think he would have just killed uh one yeah but the, i but mean given picard, his history right but picard this is iborg this is their version yes, of iborg, is iborg. So, he would have uh, also so, killed him unless someone talked him down off the ledge which is what happened in that episode yeah, Guinan's like, you need to kill this thing. And then she goes and talks Guinan's to it. Like, and it's like, maybe. Lock, okay, it's a little wrong. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, Guinan, how unlike you. That's right. But this time, this season, we asked, could this episode have been hornier and would that have made it better? So it's kind of a two-part question. Andrea. <laughs> well, I mean, my notes on this was hornier how? Like, do, like that's part of the, been... the trick of the question. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, I guess the initial the initial response for me is no, and not because I'm like a prude or anything, but it's like it felt like such a, a relationship that bordered on mother son, which I think they drove the mother son relationship harder than it the relationship actually was. Like they were kind of advertising like, oh, it's a mother son. It's like, eh, I don't think it really is, but there are shades to it where she has such a deep like affection for this Borg and she sees so much of herself in him that if they would have become physical, I think it would have felt a lot more like incestuous than like fun yeah, and I, cool. You know? You I still think that more writers need to either have better relationships with or actual sisters because this could yes. have also been a sister brother relationship. Totally, just totally could have. Uh, and we all know how, you know, society thinks about that type of relationship becoming sexual. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's, yeah, that was a hard pass for me. Um, so yeah, I would say no. And as horny as it was with like getting to see, you know, Belana's somewhat naked body in the shower i was already like dude you're really pushing some boundaries here doc like get off the effing phone like get off yeah. the screen so yeah that that was for me so i so i wrote no question mark <laughs> that was my answer <laughs> sharice what about you um i put that i i just yeah very similarly i was like i don't this feels like a mentor pupil relationship between seven and one so there's nothing romantic here that would make sense so if there was to be more romance in this episode it would have to be with between two different characters i don't remember yeah. if tom and Bellana were hooking up at this point yeah i, I was trying to think too i couldn't remember because so. yeah i don't know i think that i think they might have hooked up at the in the middle of this season of season five mm. or something but in any case I, I don't remember if they were together or not but if they were that's the only way i could have seen something like that coming in is some side story with the two of them or maybe when the doctor Tom's over Tom's in the bed too or something like that yeah that's the only way that I could see weaving in something romantic that doesn't um completely clash with the actual plot 
Yeah, I wasn't trying to trick you, either of you. I, I was like, I think this episode was, I think this episode was like randomly horny enough with that doctor yeah, scene. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that leads us into Trek, Marry, or Kill Drone. Uh, Let's start with Sharice. I definitely am going to say Mary, and that's because this is one of my favorite episodes. Um, I love this episode for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons is that I feel like it's a cool example of Starfleet's ability sometimes when it's convenient to find an alternative to automatically attack and destroy. Mm-hmm. And that's what this was. It was like, is there another way? If there is another way, what could it be? And so I really appreciated that. I have to agree with you on this one. I'm very much on the Mary train. You know, Star Trek can be clunky at times. It can be sexist. It can be racist. It can be speciesist. It can be whatever. Right. Um, But when Trek is good, it really moves you to feel and question and reanalyze your feelings on XYZ topic. And I think that this one really accomplished that without being super heavy handed about it. It was just a really beautiful episode. It touched on so many deep, meaningful topics. This for me could only be a Mary. What is it for Ryan? I can't wait to hear. Well, I didn't have a great scene for the first 10 minutes. Uh, the, it really crystallized how obnoxious the doctor was. Um, but then once once the drone comes online, all that works. I had a long time ago on my youth, not actually not that long ago, just a few years ago before the pandemic, I put out a list of like, I think there are only 20 good episodes of Voyager, <laughs> which is probably mean, but it also set me on the course of doing Trek, Mary Kill to figure this out. But this was one of those episodes I thought was great. I remember being... I remember it being better than what I thought of most Voyager episodes. That's what I mean to say. And um, so I got to say Mary, but I was going to say Trek up until like yesterday. And I changed my mind Mm -hmm. that fourth time. Or was that scene I told you where he transforms his face as he's assimilating the Mm -hmm. information? Because it's like, yeah, Jerry Ryan, she's amazing the whole way through. That's why it makes the episode so good. But just realizing like there is a real relationship here in 46 minutes, they're able to basically throw out 10 or 15 minutes of it and still walk away with something that's memorable for all the reasons mm-hmm. you mentioned. So a strong Mary, I would say. This isn't like a, a marriage of convenience. This is one I would <laughs> commit to. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like that one little bump in the beginning. It's like, who is that text from the first year we were dating? Now that's gone. <laughs> But now I'm, right. I'm over, we're in it long enough. I'm like, that's fine. Whatever. Who cares? We're married. It's fine. All right. Sharice <laughs> and Andrea, you are doing the TNG podcast still. And that's it, the seventh season. You're wrapping it up this three-year journey. How are you feeling about that? I am totally gutted that we're getting to the end of it um, because I really do. Even the episodes that I hate, I still love watching. I still love watching Trek. I love I love TNG specifically because it's so nostalgic for me, but when I'm watching the show, it feels like I'm watching friends do their job. I feel like a part of the crew, even though I'm like walking around the house or cooking or doing laundry or whatever, while I'm watching the show, it feels like I'm watching friends and no other star Trek feels like old friends to me in quite that special way. So I hate that we're getting to the end of it, but we have some, fun stuff up our sleeve for when we're done that we're really excited about. And I don't want to say any, anything more than that right now, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm sad about it, but I'm actually really excited and hopeful for like our next projects that we're looking at. 
Me too. The TNG podcast has new episodes every Thursday. Sign up for your newsletter, then people can find out what the thing is. Yeah. Well, send us an email at info at the TNG podcast.com or follow us um, on Instagram at the TNG podcast. I try to post snarky things every week there and have some fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek Voyager's drone. We feel like feel like we covered it. I think we're good. Yeah. I feel, I feel complete. Listeners, they were very out in front. They're like, this is going to go longer than an hour. You have no idea. <laughs> I mean... You've clearly never had us on the show before. <laughs> I said, I, I, said I, I tried to keep the episodes close to an hour. Oh, I, I laughed when I read that. And then Cherise said as as the voice of one, you will fail. <laughs> and that's where we're at. Cherise and Andrea, it has been a pleasure. I always think about Star Trek, but I think about all of them. But then I listen to your show. I'm like, yeah, it's the next generation, man. <laughs> This is the one. Mission successful then. Thank you Thank so much you. for having us. This has been a real a real pleasure and a lot of fun. Next week, Kristen will be back and we're going to do an episode that fits in with the spooky season, Cat's Paw from the original series. Uh, be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us five stars. Uh, write a review. Follow us online on Twitter or Instagram at TrekMaryKPod. And on our website, TrekMaryKillPod.com, you can see all of our standings for everything we've graded so far. And so until next week, TMK out. Bye.